Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fond memories, as far as I'm concerned. Like, when when I was a young, um, particularly facile at sports, and that was kind of a problem. Where I grew up, it was still a frontier place in some sense. For yourself isn't going to be of much utility. You should get out there and do what you can do. And Master um, also was very encouraging to me in that he believed that I could do whatever I put my mind to. And he helped instill that conviction in me in a manner that I hope wasn't and isn't too, um, let's say, narcissistic. It wasn't a matter of privilege. It was a matter of drive and dedication and effort. And so that was one of the things that's so sad about it. It's lost young people, male and female alike, to develop a vision and take on some responsibility and understand that they have a vital role to play in the world, that the lack of their best hurts everything. And I think that's true. And the sad thing is that very, there's very many people who have not heard an encouraging word in their life. And it takes so little to encourage them that it's rather tragic. You know, I have people come up to me, and I mean all, and by all the time, I mean many people every day in the lectures and on the street who tell me, I was in a bad place, I was struggling, I've been watching your lectures, I've been reading your book, I've put my life together, I'm trying to be responsible, tell the truth, things are way better. Thank you. And so that's, can't, can't get any better than that. So, and that's, that's that. Can I just come back to the divorce question? Uh, What is the best situation to, to to tell your children, we don't love each other anymore, but we're going to stay together for your sake, so that you'll have a semblance of a happy family life, or to say, I'm sorry, this doesn't work, we'll, we'll continue to love you, but we'll part and we'll, we'll love you the rest of our lives, and maybe we even can be happy on, <laughs> on our uh, different Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, often, you have to make the best of a bad lot, You know, I mean, sometimes the best possible choice isn't there in front of you. And I would say, well, it's generally up to each person to decide 
under the circumstances, which of those pathways forward would be likely to cause the least amount of misery? For? Well, you know, for you, for your wife, for your kids. You know, you have to balance all of that out. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, I would also say that by the time it comes to the point where you're divorcing, um, all you may have left are one of two suboptimal choices. And, you know, so part of what I do as well is to try to lecture about what sort of interactions might facilitate a marriage such that it's less likely to end up in a situation like that. Now, sometimes people have irreconcilable differences and there's nothing that can be done about it. But often people are not good at negotiating, partly because they don't, they won't admit what they want because then they know that then they know if they're not getting it. They make their criteria for failure clear, and that frightens them. So they keep themselves vague. Because they don't know what they want, they can't communicate it to their partners. And they don't know how to do that anyways, because they're not very good at negotiating. And then they avoid conflict. And so then the conflict, because when you avoid conflict, all you do is store it up for the future. And You know, I've seen lots of people on the brink of divorce and in horrible marital situations, horrible family situations. And, you know, they have... 25,000 disputes that haven't been settled. And at that point, it's like, maybe divorce is the best option. But that doesn't mean that it was the best option from the beginning. So hopefully people can learn to negotiate and to tell each other the truth, and that will increase the probability that they can maintain their relationships in a stable manner. But, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you didn't do that, because I don't know anything no, no, about no, your course. situation. No, no, so. But I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that you don't take into account our level of irrationality. We're super irrational people. When you discuss, it's like we can all just agree on these things and look at the science and we'll fix everything. That's not how it works. Oh, no, work. I don't think people are irrational at all. And I think that it's very difficult for us to negotiate. And it's amazing that we ever live in peace at all. Yeah, it's tremendously difficult. So, so tell yes. me, uh, one last question. When, when are you irrational yourself? When I'm hungry. What happens then? Um, little things bother me far more than they would bother any reasonable person. <laughs> so that's, and I, I would say, if you find that you're irrational like that frequently, one of the things you might try is to eat something. And you, and you have, a, you have a, a peculiar diet. You have, you have your own... You could say that again, yes. What, what, what is it? What, what's the... Well, there seems to be some sort of autoimmune condition in my family, and Some of it's also reflected in my wife's family, unfortunately. And the culmination of that was that my daughter had an extraordinarily serious, serious set of autoimmune dysfunctions that caused her an endless amount of misery and destruction. And she found out about three years ago, as a consequence of very, very careful experimentation, that if she ate nothing but meat, then all her symptoms disappeared. So... And her primary symptoms were degenerative bone disease that had been diagnosed as idiopathic arthritis, which means arthritis with no known cause. And she had her ankle and her hip replaced when she was in her teens because of that and had 38 other afflicted joints. So it was hell. And um, she cottoned on to the fact that diet had something to do with it for a variety of reasons I can't go into and, and radically restricted her eating and all her symptoms disappeared. So that is why you do it as well? Yes, well I had many but not all of the same symptoms and she told, I watched what happened to her and I thought, well that's impossible because it was and 
she encouraged me to try it. And I thought, well, I can try anything for a month, you know. And so I, I started for a month and I had changes almost immediately. And so um, I've continued with a very restricted diet for about two years and extraordinarily restricted for the last eight months. So, and that seems to be working for me quite well, even though it's, you know, it has its downsides. Uh, Jordan Peterson, it's been so interesting talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the invitation. Hope you enjoyed the clip. For more... Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ceremonial Witchcraft once again. I am the creator of this podcast and of Ceremonial Witchcraft, and my name is Corey LeBlanc. But if you're on Instagram, I am Corey White, and it's the Ceremonial Witch. Um, On YouTube, I believe it's Ceremonial Witchcraft, but I think you can still find it by putting in Corey LeBlanc. And I have a website, CeremonialWitchcraft.com, which just basically links to my pages but it also shows various books that i have that if anybody wants to send i think there might be links on there for books as well um but anyways so uh before i started i played about a six or eight minute clip um i titled it just meat (laughs) but it was well in part i wanted to show because i'm on here a lot talking about uh how i don't eat meat and you know and i've never once said or tried to tell people to not eat meat okay and you know being that my Saturn actually is in the seventh house, it's not necessarily in Libra, but it's in the seventh house, which is ruled by Libra, which is also ruled by Venus. Being that you know my ascendant is Taurus, and my Venus is with the Moon in Gemini, but you know Taurus is my first sign. That's where my Sun is. So, anyways, Libra, Venus, very important to me. Who went Saturn in there? Saturn is exalted in Libra. However, Saturn's in my seventh house, which is ruled by Libra, so I have some some shit that happens there. You know, very. Uh, very similar things as if, you know, having your Saturn in 7th house and having your Saturn in Libra, you're going to have similar characteristics, but it's also going to depend on the sign that's there. It's going to reflect same as if you have Saturn in Libra, but it's in a different house than the 7th, right? So there's other things to take into effect. So it's not exactly like having Saturn in Libra, but but anyways, that's besides the point. But what I want to talk about, um, oh, like I said, I put that on there because I like showing the other side of the coin, you know. On this hand, I can do this. On this hand, I can do that. That's how Libra is. It's the scales. It's the balance and all that. And I did want to throw that out there because I swear to God, I've never found that. Uh, you know, there's always been arguments uh, for and against me. And I take them all into account while making my choice. Um, you know, and I haven't had meat now for, it'll be close to two years, I want to say. I said it'd be two years, somewhere near February or March. I want to, I want to say it could be, uh, could even be longer than that because I would, when I was still at Matrix, I wasn't eating meat. I just started not eating meat, and I haven't been at Matrix. That's the job I lost when I got the ten grand. I haven't been at Matrix now for at least the fucking. I've been off for fucking almost three years now. So I mean, I just went back to work before my daughter's birthday. So technically, it hasn't been quite three years, but it's very close. But anyways, so almost three years I haven't been eating meat. And, you know, I've always said that I might have a day where I indulge in meats and, you know, how kind of like a cheat day, right? So this way, 
you know, you have a big meal, so you're not teased and all that. And that cheat day can be whatever day of the week. I don't believe in having a strict cheat day because if something comes up, you say, well, I'll just change my cheat day to this day. Well, then you're more likely to keep bending the rules once you bend them once. So having strict, strict rules and guidelines are good, but not so strict that it's impossible to, to have, right? There's that, that Libra scales coming out again. So the point of me putting the whole meat thing on here for the autoimmune disease thing that, that Peterson was talking about, um, was the reason. Now, once again, and I have nothing against eating meat. Uh, I have everything against the way the animals are raised, killed, and sometimes they don't even live. They're literally just the chromosomes, the DNA, the, the cellular structure of that animal, okay? Possibly a clone, but I don't really know. But they're just the, the DNA um, identifiers or whatever makes up the that animal okay they have that they produce that they somehow create it and you know i've seen these horrible videos that i hope to god are just fake but of like chickens that are all just in a fucking container like a like a like a marine container like a uh, those containers you see on boats or in big fucking uh, boat yards or whatever or transport yards and they're just a bunch of them packed in there and the only organization they have is that you know, the intervenus is able to get to every one of those, but they're just piled up on top of each other. Uh, you know, and these are technically animals. You know, this would be like having a fetus, a baby, you know, that isn't alive yet, just on an intervenus tube, you know, and you're trying to get it to get to a certain point, except all the, the only goal is to get it fat enough, and once it reaches its biggest where it's going to have the most meat that they can sell, then they kill it. They just stop the tubes or whatever. They, I don't know. They, the videos didn't get into that. So seeing stuff stuff like that and knowing that that's most likely an exaggeration and you know more of the exception than the rule just tells me that that does happen, okay? And some part of that is true. So that alone made me want to stop eating. And like, You know what I mean? If, if everybody in my family reduced their meat intake, then maybe I could eat meat again. But until they do, because we are a large family, and we probably, you know, I would, I haven't ever done the math, but if you really put it in perspective, you know, we're probably eating a couple fucking, I don't know, probably in the 20s, you know, 20 cows a year, 50 chickens a year, something like that. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't doubt it. And every animal like that times every family, if that's just, you know, how many 7 billion people in the world, if you just take half of that, 3.5 billion, and you figure... You know, out of those 3.5 billion, we'll do a small number. Everybody's eating five chickens a year and five cows a year. You know what I mean? If you take that number, you know how gross that is? It's technically not even sustainable. I don't even think there's that many farms and that much time to be able to produce that meat. So you got to ask what's going on. But anyways, well, like I said, this is something that continuously happens. But I have nothing against people eating meat. The only issue I have is against the way they are killed and raised and all that. I don't believe in in that the way we do it. So, but I wanted to put that on there because you know it's very hard to find that now. Most people's arguments with meat is like, well, where are you going to get your protein? Where are you going to get your iron? You know, where are you going to get these things? And you know well, that's been shut down for years because first of all, when you cook things at too high of a temperature, you lose everything. Second of all, it's very hard for our body to extract that protein. They do that test and they can see the protein in there and they can give you how many grams of protein are per that thing. But it, does your body actually break it down and consume that protein? That's up for debate because there's four and against arguments for that as well. And when you have that, it's like, well, then what, what do you take? And But then when you do the experiments with the seeds, with chia seeds, with nuts, with different powders and different uh, seeds and different things like that, you can get way more protein with no sugar intake. And, and after you stop eating as much food, 
you know, your stomach shrinks, so you don't have to take in as much food. So your 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 your, your uh, digestive system and all these things aren't working overtime to digest that, and you're not storing all these toxins in your skin. That when you lose weight, the toxins start coming out of your skin. You know, and if you absorb something that has some kind of carcinogen that can create cancer, and it's stored in your fat, because that's what those things do. They get absorbed through oil. Okay, that's something I learned just from my job. My job, but. It gets absorbed through the oil and your fat in your body. So when you lose that weight, then you lose those toxins and they get dispersed. And then your cells can pick it up or it can make those cells. That part, I'm really, I'm a little, I'm a little area. I don't really understand how your cells get those toxins after they've already been out of your body. But there's something there that happens to that cell, those cells, and those cells end up not creating the organs or fucking up one of your main systems on your body, you know, whether it's your your bone system, your, your muscle systems, your nervous systems, whatever, your circulatory system, because we have a blood cancer, right? So that'd be the blood system that gets fucked up. We have a bone cancer, right? Uh, leukemia is either the bone or the blood, I can't remember. Um, you know, we have all these different kinds of cancers from everything from, you know, as serious as fucking, ah, anyways, I'm not going to go through that because I don't like talking about that shit. The point is, there's a lot of bad, bad shit out there about meat. However, this is something that I found very interesting. The fact that uh, eating as much meat, red meat, as you can, I think he said red meat, other meat, as you can, is a way to, uh, the doctor said, would combat autoimmune system. And if you listen to the Jordan B. Uh, Peterson podcast on fucking Spreaker or anywhere else, you hear his daughter speaking uh, before everyone. She does the introduction to every one of his podcasts on there. So she's alive and well and kicking. So, yeah. And one of his rules is to not lie. And I believe the man. I believe maybe he exaggerates things, but for the most part, I believe him. All right. Sorry about that. I had to go somewhere, but now I'm back. Okay, so the meat thing I was talking about. Um, Yeah, I put that on there, like I said, to uh, give you a benefit. Now, let's go through. All right. So if eating meat helps somebody who's got autoimmune disease. Well, what's autoimmune disease? Okay. Well, uh, from what I know, is when your it's when your system, right, your immune system mistakenly attacks your own body. Okay, so autoimmune disease, immune. That's your immune system, right? It guards against the germs, uh, like bacteria. Well, I think mainly the bad bacteria because there is good bacteria. There actually is good germs, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and uh, and viruses, right? So that's what that's the job of your immune system is to fight off. Bacteria, and generally speaking, I think that'd be bad, the bad bacteria that's not beneficial for your body. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's all bacteria. Um, or maybe that's what the autoimmune is. is whenever your body attacks its good bacteria, which that bacteria is there for a reason, and that's what makes you susceptible to all diseases. Um, and, you know, but basically, um, your immune system, it sends out these, um, it's like an army, basically, of, like, fighter cells, like... The cells are meant, these are the cells that I keep talking about why you need strong cells to have a strong body, to have a long-lasting life, to, you know, you can do whatever you want if you treat your body and your cells right, basically. It doesn't matter at this point as long as you're, you know, if you want to do things like drink and smoke and drugs, whatever, you know, that's fine, but you need to have it balanced and check, and that's when people run into the problems. You know, people are dope addicts, people are overweight, obese, or people are too skinny, so they don't have a balance, right? They're not either taking in enough, or they're taking in too much, they're, they're doing too much of one thing, and not having a nice balance of everything. 
So, but anyways, besides the point. So yeah, your 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 immune system tells the cells that you know it's in charge of. That's got like this army of cells to go fight off this bacteria and these viruses. Well, when you have an autoimmune disease, it's doing that. It's like it doesn't have the shut off. It like it can't distinguish between the good ones and the bad ones. You know, maybe maybe you have all good ones and your immune system is just bored, so it goes out there and does whatever. Maybe that's a good way to look at it or not. I don't really know. I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you uh, what Peterson said about the meat, the autoimmune system, and I'm telling you what, you know, the definition of autoimmune disease is, basically. So, and using my mind, and I'm not saying this is accurate or inaccurate, so this is all, you know, um, I'm just, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, starts with S. Oh, speculation. This is all speculation, right? And, and part of my opinion, but if to cure autoimmune disease, which autoimmune disease is your own body attacking its own systems, its own good bacteria, its own good germs. You know, I could put on not a Jerry Tennant, but uh, uh, one of the three amigos, Bruce Lipton, I want to say, or it's the other guy who talks about this, but your body has good germs um, uh, and all this. He's, he goes he goes way in depth in this, and this would be very beneficial, and this is probably where some of this this is going to come from. But if, if eating meat, okay, having those carcinogens, the things that are bad in meat, the things that your body can't break down, the bacteria that comes along with, you know, uh, you know, definitely the different animals have, you know, um, sometimes they need shots, they need vaccines, which are, you know, your uh, fucking... Uh, your penicillins and shit like that, and then we take that in when we eat that meat. So we're getting either the bacteria that they were sick from, we're eating it, or we're getting the different penicillins. I can't think of the fucking name, but um, you know the thing that attacks uh, it attacks infection. So you know we're putting in extra bacteria, extra germs, extra shit into our body when we're eating that meat, right? So for someone who has autoimmune system, maybe the reason that you eat a lot of meat, so much meat, you overdo it, you only eat red meat, you know, because, you know, Peterson said he had the symptoms, he did it, because his daughter told asked him to do it, and he got better, and his daughter is good to this day, and she is still good, you know what I mean, she, well, she'll say, stay away from doctors, and do your own research, and shit like that, but this doctor helped her, so, kind of a, you know, not all doctors are bad, you know what I mean, because, I mean, Jerry Tennant was a fucking doctor, and he's out there speaking some truth, and, not going against the medical uh, community, but in some ways he is. He tells you that, and a lot of people say the same thing, that when it comes to fixing bones, uh, restructuring bones, um, different things like that, our medical advancements are bang on. But when it comes to other things where they continuously just use chemistry, and what I mean by that is drugs for all these different things, that can be fixed other ways, and we've found and are now true or have facts or have data that says that, you know, you can fight mental illnesses or these diseases like ADHD or not diseases, but things like ADHD in different ways, you know, than having to give a kid a fucking, uh, a, a, not a stimulant, but uh, something, oh, I guess it'd be a stimulant, um, like a speed. It's, it's an amphetamine, you know, methamphetamines, right? That's fucking crystal meth. Well, that's an amphetamine just like speed, just like fucking Ritalin. You know, cocaine is very similar to that, but it's not an amphetamine. That is just straight up a stimulant. Point is... If you're eating so much meat and you have an autoimmune system, maybe what you're doing is giving your body something to fight against. Because if your body's eating itself, you know, you're one of those people that are sick, right? So your parents logically put you on the best diet. They do all this good information, blah, 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 right? Right? And you're on this healthy diet. You're only taking good things. And for some reason, your body's still eating itself, 
right? What the fuck do we do? What the fuck do we do? So what does the doctor do? The doctor says, well, eat as much fucking red meat as you want. He's very vague about it, or maybe he did tell Peterson, and Peterson doesn't want to come out and say it because the guy's got enough controversial shit going on with all the trans crap that happened to him, and I'm not saying that's small or big. I'm not for or against it. I believe that... Anybody who Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime any Anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Who has a has transgender and has to deal with that is, you know, by all means, like they probably have a hard enough life as it is. And I'm not trying to minimize that or anything like that. Uh, when it comes to that, I have really no opinion because I can't. I understand what those people go through and I can't understand and, you know, I've never dealt with anybody like that. So I have no opinion on that and, you know, they're people as far as I'm concerned and we should all be united as far as I'm concerned. So there's no reason to separate either one of us and I don't believe in a sense that Jordan Peter was trying to harm any trans people. However, maybe the things he did had some initial harm to them and I think he was just going against the fact that the government was trying to tell us what we have to say and he was against that. He I said, they've told us before what we can't say, you know, what's politically incorrect or what's socially or, or morally or religiously or culturally incorrect. You cannot say these things. Like, you can't go to a fucking airport and say you got a bomb, you know what I mean? But now they switch this, they flip the script and they're telling you what you have to say. And that's where he had the problem. And, you know, it came out through... Uh, uh, through this, through the transgender bullshit. Sorry, it's not bullshit. I don't. I, I, every time I say something like that, I catch myself and I feel like I'm degrading the situation. I'm not trying to degrade any situation. I'm just saying, um, when I say bullshit, I don't mean it. it has no meaning. So please don't take that perspective or think that's what I'm getting at. But anyways, so and this is just like I said, this is just my speculation. So don't think I did research on this and this is fact. But to me, if your own body is eating itself with an autoimmune disease. It's eating all its good bacteria, bad bacteria, all the viruses, everything that keeps your body in order. You know, and your kid is healthy and is getting all the nutrients and everything it needs. Yeah, so if everything, if your body is uh, getting everything it needs, like if your kid has the autoimmune disease, this is like that's Jordan Peterson's daughter had the autoimmune disease, right? So as parents, as, you know, smart or... Um, Parents, you know, and smart may not be the right word because uh, you might be irrational if you have a sick child. You might not be thinking clear, you know, because the best thing to do, which is one of the reasons why, well, you know, we go to doctors and we go seek help and whatever. And, you know, we get other people's opinions and shit like that is because we might not be thinking right, right? I mean, if one of my kids were sick 
and I you know, we'll say I lived in the States. I don't have this problem because I live in Canada. But if I lived in the United States and I needed money for a surgery, well, fucking I've done illegal things just to fucking just to make money for myself, you know, like finding my place in the world, basically, so to speak. Or, you know, like I, I, I sold dope. I fucking ran smokes. I have peddled drugs to the States from Canada, you know pretty far down too, like illegally going across and getting in a car there and illegally coming back and shit like that. So I've done a lot of this shit and it wasn't really for that. I mean, I was with a girl who had kids at the time I was doing this, but generally I was just doing it for, you know, the love of money, which is what the Bible says is evil. Not that the root of evil is money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. When you love money more than the thing you're doing for money, as Schrader puts it, that's when you are not going to be doing things Right, that you're technically going to sacrifice, um, you know, what you love. Um, sorry, I have something popping up here. My, hopefully, it doesn't fuck up my my recording. But, but uh, sorry about that. Yeah, anyways, I got rid of it. Okay, so, um, being a parent who has a sick child, um, it'd be logical to think that you would be thinking logically. You would be rash. You would be, you know. Your kid is your number one priority, and therefore, you know, you would do anything for that child. So, once again, if I was in the United States of America, where I had to pay for health care, and, you know, I've actually, I actually known a guy who was a doctor, who is now a Canadian doctor, and it's not like I know him personally or as a friend, but he was uh, at a clinic one time where I went to the clinic. This is whenever I was on OPS, but before I got help, and he knew it. And he was trying to talk to me about it, basically, because, you know, in Canada, whenever the opiate epidemic happened, uh, and you're going in there and saying you didn't have a problem, you know, anybody who was hooked on opiates, whether they were trying on purpose or just going in there to get a doctor's note because of all the work they were missing, which was the case for me, whether they were trying or not, basically what they hoped to happen is that you would get a script in the back of your mind, even though you probably weren't trying and you don't, you know, because for me, like I said, I'm, I'm... I'm an agreeable person, which is characters, which is normally what women are, and men are normally disagreeable. So I'm an agreeable person. So even though I was hooked on opiates, and and you know the withdrawal was pretty bad, I never really did anything super crazy like that. Whereas you know, like I just said, I, I did a lot to make money just for the love of money, and that was before I was even hooked on opiates. Most of those things, not all of it, because I sold smokes by the carton while I was on opiates to help facilitate that, and I even became an opiate dealer. And, you know, that this way I always had opiates on me and I always had money, so it wasn't really an issue. It wasn't until I stopped selling cigarettes and stopped selling the opiates that it became an issue because then I didn't always have them lying around. But anyways, point is, in the back of my mind, I was always hoping that I was going to pick up a script. And doctor would just say, at the very least, Tylenol 3s or Perks or Oxys or Hydromorphine or any kind of morphine, Delato, fucking Demerol, doesn't matter, you know. Fentanyl would be great, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always hoping that was going to happen, but in Canada, because there was such an epidemic of that, from people just going in there in pain, to people having to get work, whatever, trying to get dope, they had, first of all, they had a no narcotic sign right on the clinic saying, we don't give out narcotics here, to try to detour that, even though that didn't really work in the back of their mind, they hoped that they could get to the doctor, they might still get it, and they did blood work. Because if you're going in there saying, I have this pain, and it keeps happening, and I can't explain it, and I don't know why, and nothing really happened, it's just weird, well, it, it wasn't unreasonable for the doctor to say, okay, well, we need to do some blood work, because, yeah, it could be something, you know, the blood is the best way to tell stuff, and everybody thought that was reasonable, but 
One of the reasons they did that blood work probably was to see if there was a problem, but it was also to check if there was opiates in your system, right? People aren't just going to willingly do a piss test because that screams of drug testing, right? So blood work. So send you for blood work and they'd find out right away that you're an opiate user. But anyways, this doctor told me that he used to have a practice in the United States. And the reason he came to Canada, he makes far less money here in Canada, okay, in his medical practice, but he doesn't have to deal with parents, okay? Now, there was many reasons why people lost their homes because like this doctor said at one point he had uh, a couple pieces of land without homes on it. He had about four different houses uh, technically because he had the deed for, right? And it was easier just to give the doctor your fucking house than have to go try to sell it and wait for, you know, the realtor to try to make their cut and all this other crap. So he had a few houses, uh, a few properties, a bunch of different vehicles and ATVs and shit like that. And, you know, but that came at the cost of helping sick children. You know what I mean? And he said, I did a bunch of free pro bono work thinking it would make up for that. You know what I mean? But then at a certain point... You can only do so, pro, so much pro bono that the other doctors start getting upset and there's a bunch of politics and blah, blah, blah. So this doctor, whenever he realized I had the problem, we had a conversation about it and he was one of the ones that told me, you know, I know it's hard to, to admit that you have this problem, but you do and you should go really check out a methadone clinic at least to try to get rid of the withdrawal and then try to kick it off your own kind of thing. But yeah, he was telling me that it was horrible having to help these children and their parents would do anything and give up anything. He said the odd time you see the parent that did not want to give up their house and let their child die. And he said that was pretty brutal. But he's like, that barely ever happened. You know, he, th- he said, like, I think one or two people, something like that, did it to him. You know, I kind of blanked that part out because I don't want to think that of people. But it's there. It's there. That's that dark side I talk about. It's fucking absolutely positively there. But anyways, point is, he came to Canada because we have free health care here in Canada. And if you have a sick kid dying, that's bad enough. But to have to lose your home, you know, your other kids don't have a home anymore. You have to go to an apartment, which you still have to live. You still have to pay for an apartment like a mortgage. But the only way to pay for your medical bill is to use the equity or what your house is actually worth and give it to the fucking doctor. Like, that's pretty brutal. And he couldn't handle it anymore. He could not handle it. So he came to Canada. And that's why he was a doctor here. And he probably told me that story to make my problem seem probably... A little minimal, because compared to that, it's like, holy fuck, I'm here playing victim, hoping I'm going to get a script, thinking my life is bad, yet all my children are healthy at home, you know, I didn't have a house, I didn't own my house at this point, and my wife had a car, but it was in her father's name, but, you know, we had a vehicle, and we had a place to stay, I had family members that loved me, I had two step boys that loved me, and I had, a, a, my daughter was just born. Like I said, I got on uh, Suboxone not long after, which is a substitute for methadone that doesn't get you high, basically. All it does is get with the withdrawal. It has naloxone in Suboxone, which is what you give to somebody when they're having an opioid overdose. Therefore, if you think the Suboxone I take is something that keeps getting me high every day, you're damn wrong. Because right in the pill that I take, it has the thing that counteracts opioid overdose and if you've ever seen somebody having an overdose and you administer naloxone whether it's an injection whether it's the nasal spray whether it's a pill it doesn't matter however you get in that person they go from about to die but not feeling a goddamn thing to going through withdrawal before your eyes and almost pissed off at you for saving their life because they're in such agony and pain and I have that in the pill I take it's got a type of opioid in it that somehow gets rid of the withdrawal 
doesn't get you high, or maybe it would get you high, but because of the naloxone in there, it also is removing and stopping me from getting high. And because that's in there, I can't take an opioid and get away with it. Now, no, uh, Suboxone isn't like a mir- miracle drug or anything like that. And, you know, if you are on really heavy heroin or really heavy fucking fentanyl or really heavy into pills that are of an opioid nature, you may have to go to methadone first unless you can take three days of minor pain because, you know, the first three days that I, 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 I started buying Suboxone off the street before I got on Suboxone because this time there was a six-month waiting list to get into my clinic uh, here in town, which they no longer have that. You know, it's within days or weeks now. It's very fast. But there was a six-month waiting period, and I did my blood work not at the clinic itself because I was very leery and I didn't want anybody to spot me. Anybody to know I had this problem, right? One of the reasons I didn't want to go to the clinic was because, one, I had to admit I had a problem, and two, I had to see people either there that, you know, maybe I knew or people see me going in there knowing that that place is what it is or at least seeing me go there and figure, right, what is that place Corey just went to and figuring it out. So I was very against doing it there. So I did my blood work somewhere else that the clinic said I could do it there and they'll fax them the answers. Well, they lost my fucking blood work. And it took a fucking year for me to get on this shit. So as much as buying Suboxone off the street is bad, because the man who was giving me the Suboxone, well, he was buying fentanyl with the money I was giving him for Suboxone. So yeah, he would give me one of his uh, 8 milligram pills of Suboxone. I would give him, I think, 10 bucks for that one pill. And, you know, with that money, he would go buy, well, he had other money, but he would put it together. You know, I'd probably give him 50 bucks a week. You know, fall 40 bucks a week, probably. You know, because every two days I was doing a pill. So, you know, some weeks 30, some weeks 40. But generally, I probably got it four times every week. So at 40 bucks, he would go. He'd be able to get like a 25 uh, milligram patch, which you might say, holy fuck, that's expensive, you know? Almost a dollar milligram, but holy fuck, it's like tripled since now. Now, you gotta get a 25 uh, 25 gram patch, uh, milligram patch of fucking fentanyl, and it's gonna cost you probably 75 bucks to $100. Like, it's ridiculous now. But anyways, um, so I got way off topic there. Holy fuck. But yeah, I can talk about this shit for a while. And that's one of the reasons I help people in my community that are going through the same issue. But yeah, so the first three days, well, when I was doing this, it wasn't, I don't know, maybe it's psychological, but coming on to the Suboxone off of that, because while I was buying it off the street, I was still, if I couldn't get Suboxone, I would still use but at this point, I told my wife, I told my family, and I told her I would only get enough. And, you know, I stopped using the money. I stopped controlling money. I stopped paying for things. So I wouldn't, you know, I had to go pay my electric bill. I said, my electric bill is 400 bucks. Well, I'd go in there, I'd hand them $300 and make an arrangement for the other 100 But I would tell my wife I paid the 400 and I'd buy a fucking patch for that 100 or whatever I could find, basically. Or buy a bunch of perks, sell most of them, and try to make my money back. But generally... I'd make that money back, and then, oh, I'd buy more, and then eventually I would I would be able to go a long time and, you know, using the profit to facilitate my addiction. So, in a sense, it was a good thing because I wasn't taking money from my job for it, but in the same sense, I still owed the 100 bucks to uh, the electric company. So, anyways, so I gave all that up once I told her, and, you know, I'd say, I need uh, 20, 25 bucks, and whatever I get, don't worry, if, if I don't have to pay that much, I won't. I'll try my best not to pay that much, and I'll show you exactly what I get. And you know, most of the time, it was Subox, and, and she knew, and I let her, if she wanted to see the text, uh, be in on the conversations, you know, this is part of the deal, because I hid that from her for so long, so 
as much as she wanted to be upset with me and be very angry with me, she understood that it was a hard issue and this is part of the trade-off. I know I, 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 I know I fucked up and I took advantage of your trust and I've been lying in your face for so long and, you know, as part of my redemption for that and to gain your trust back, you know, until I get on this program for to help me to be on Suboxone so we don't have to pay for it because my benefits covered Suboxone and methadone probably would have been covered as well. But if you're on like this system, whether it's uh, ODSP, you know, or welfare, whatever the case is, um, you know, methadone is covered but not Suboxone. So that's one of the reasons most people say they're picking methadone, which it's really because you can still get high off of this shit. Um, but and that's not everybody because there's some legit people on methadone who have all of their carries, which is they get to keep the stuff at their house with them and because the doctor knows they're going to use it, not sell it or abuse it, try to inject it, whatever. Um, but anyways, so I was still using from time to time when I couldn't get Suboxone in the year period I had to wait. And so when I was fully on Suboxone, okay, I, I was on one pill for the first two days and then the doctor upped it to two pills because during those first two days, on the third day when I went to see him and he upped it to two pills, I was having a lot of lower and upper back pain. So he ran blood work and that was to see, you know, because a lot of different type of cancer that, you know, I think it's either your upper or lower back, you know, I think that's one of the signs of leukemia. So don't think if that you're having that, you have leukemia because that would be the stupidest thing you can do and you might create it. That's not the case, but it has happened. My Aunt Mary, she died of that and she went in there thinking she had a kidney infection, so it's probably lower back and she left the hospital with leukemia and then a fucking year later she was dead. And after that point, you know, she went from going in there thinking she only had this. She worked the day before. She was fine up and about. And as soon as she was told she had that disease, she was in the hospital. Like she came out. But then she after as soon as she went in for her first fucking chemo radiation and all the other shit they were going to do, she never left the hospital for about five fucking months. And then when they let her out for a couple weeks and then she got worse, she went in there. My mom did the stem cell thing for her and was giving her her stem cells because she was almost a fucking, she was like 98% match because this was her younger sister. She was the oldest sister then another sister and a brother. But she was the closest match. They all did the blood work. My mom was closest match. So my mom gave up her stem cells for her sister and it almost took the cancer was almost completely gone and my mom's stem cell, her biological, whatever you want, her DNA that was put into my aunt almost took, but there's cancer present and it fucked it all up. And then my Aunt Mary died, I think, four months after that because they said, okay, well, once we get rid of the cancer again, because you have to get rid of the cancer almost to a point where the microscope can't see it and that's what rem- re- uh, remission is or something to that effect. I mean, I could be wrong, so please don't quote me and think this is fact, but something to that effect. And then, so my mom was optimistic. She said, you know what, don't worry. We're going to, but my aunt was just, you know, she had enough and she let go and she passed away. And that has been pretty brutal on my mom because she tried her damnness and she really thought if she believed that she would make it. But my mom is a firm believer and a prayer and my mom is a worry word and she's the type of person that, you know, in asking God, which is the wrong way to do it, say, hey, please cure my sister, which is the wrong way to do it, especially if you're visualizing them sick, you know, when you're asking for someone to be cured, you're affirming that they're sick. You're not affirming that they're cured. You almost have to be a liar in that sense. The only way to be a liar that will be to your benefit, and lying is the wrong word, but I'm just going to say it because, you know, people will understand it, but the only way to do lying and it's beneficial to you is to yourself and to the universe, basically, to God, because you want, uh, you want to tell your subconscious that this is real. Like the TV, you know, your subconscious doesn't know what's real or fake. Well, you have to treat your affirmations, your visualizations, your magic, everything in that sense. 
You don't ask for something because when you ask for something, you affirm that it isn't there. And when you do an affirmation of something that isn't there, but you want the opposite to happen, well, how can it? How can the opposite happen whenever you're telling the universe, hey, I don't have this? That's all it hears. Okay, so it doesn't, he wants to keep not having this. And it's not necessarily saying, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm not going to give you any more, or I'm going to keep giving you none of this, or keep giving you this shitty situation. What it does is you make your visualization of the circumstances you have, right? So it takes all that into account and just keeps giving you more of that. It's what you perceive that's happening right now. So that's how my mom probably prayed. And had she known, and I didn't even know this at the time. I wish I would have, because I would have fucking told her, because she was pretty much open for anything at that time. And that's one of the reasons I think people get to that state, because when everything is good, how are you going to believe something different? If you're working a job and you're relatively happy, you know, and you've, you've been working a job for 20 years and, you know, and working this job for 20 years and you've had your ups and downs within these 20 years, but more or less you found, okay, well, when this happens, I'm happy. When this happens, I'm sad. And, you know, this is probably as good as it's going to get. So I'll really enjoy those happy times and I'll just manage to get through the sad times. So that becomes people's norms. And when they're in the happy times, how are you going to get through to them? And even if they're in the sad times, they're just going to be like, oh, no, don't worry. Things will change. The pendulum people generally understand the pendulum. Things go back and forth. That Things are up and things are down. That's how life works. So it's very hard to tell people that. That isn't until things come crashing down and they're forced into this shadowy dark side that they either stay super ignorant and just give up and don't bother listening to anything new and, you know, or everything they know comes shattering down and they don't know what to believe anymore. And that's when you can, after they get through that initial shock, you know, they're still in shock. You hear that a lot when people pass away or, or if people get fired or something, something traumatic or something very unprecedented happens to somebody and someone says, I think they're still in shock because they're not showing any signs of it, which, you know, probably 90% of the time is, is true, is accurate. But anyway, so when that comes crashing down on people, after they get through that initial shock, it's easier to get them to believe in these different radical ideas because the things they thought would work won't work. You know what I mean? My, my mom did everything right. She put her life on the line. She went to see her sister all the time. She stayed positive. She gave her positive messages. She, she prayed. You know, she did everything right except for the actual praying. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that she did it on purpose. No, we're not taught this shit. And maybe it's, maybe it's just the fact that people don't know it. It was forgotten in time. And so unless you open an esoteric book, you don't know. And maybe the few people that know this is real don't want the information out. But if you think of the person who you're praying for, has already healed. If that's the image you put out, and you put that out with feeling, you know, even if you put that out with the fear feeling, with the, the, the anger feeling, like, because Frederick Xavier says that you can get money by saying, God, I'm so fucking angry that I have this fucking money. God damn it. You know, and you'll get that fucking money. But don't be surprised when you get that money and surrounded by circumstances you don't like. You know, so you can, any emotion can get you that. And that's something worth looking into. I'm going to do a video also on that, how you can use fear emotion to bring stuff to you that you may or may not want. So sometimes getting rid of stuff with that emotion is actually better than using the happy emotion to get rid of stuff. Because getting rid of stuff you don't want is not always a happy moment. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a hard, it's an emotional time. And sometimes using the other emotion to bring that about can be easier. And I know it's hard to understand, but I'll explain that in a, in a future video. But anyway, so had she done that the right way, you know, everything could have been different, but it's not all on my mom because everybody did. And even at that time, I was doing it. At that time, you know, I was having a bit of a breakdown 
in God, and I didn't really, that was before my whole spiritual awakening or whatever you want to call this, my initiation into magic and all this shit. It was even before I was new age. But, you know, I wasn't for or against God. I knew there was a creator, but I knew the religious doctrines I couldn't believe anymore and stuff like this. So Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But yeah, I still prayed because I wanted my aunt to be around. And I was doing it the wrong way too. So I'm not just blaming my mom or anything like that. I think everybody in my fa- our family was doing it that way because that's the only way we knew. And if everybody in the world only knows how to pray by asking God, please, please, giving God an ultimatum, like, I'll do everything right if you just do this for me. Do this one thing for me. You know? And then when it happens, you say, oh, fuck, I, I never promised. I never promised. So you blame on coincidence and you don't do what you said. And then whenever it comes time around again, you ask it and then, God doesn't answer you and you get all mad at him. Well, and the last time you never even kept your end of the bargain. And that's God's fault. But anyways, besides the point. Point is, that's how this shit works. And I don't know how I got on. To, oh yeah, the back pain, the cancer thing. So that's besides the point. But, um, holy fuck, I forget where the fuck I was going with all that. But yeah, so that was a trade-off for me and my wife to have, um, for me and my wife to have, and, her, and regain her trust. But, for, so for the first three days, when I was on just the one pill, he upped me to two pills. And for those next three days, well, probably, I think it was only like one day, and then the second day was better, and the third day I didn't feel it anymore. So point I was trying to get at was if you decide to go on some boxing, which is not what I want to talk about today at all, so I'm sorry. But anyways, I'll just finish this line of thought, and I'll go back to the whole meat thing. But if you decide to get off opiates and use suboxone to do it, you got to make sure that, you know, unless your doctor puts you on two or three pills right off the hop, which they, I don't think they would ever do, Unless, you know, they think you're not at risk of anything. Because there is still some risk with that type of drug. But, um, uh, you know, you're still going to have pain. And that's the benefit of methadone. Methadone is still a drug. And it's still, uh, it'll get rid of your pain instantly. And some people can't do that, right? But I was strong enough to do that and better for it. Because now I don't look for opiates, you know. I have that opiate blocker in me and I can't. It's better for you in the long run. You know, and it's not like going through the actual withdrawal because it's not even close to the same. You know, you can drink a beer and have no pain and while you're doing that. But anyways, that's done with that thought. I'll get back to the whole meat thing that I'm trying to hit at. Oh, anyways, I'm going to get back to the whole meat thing. So, oh, yeah, so yeah, I went to the doctors and, uh, you know, a doctor having to come to Canada because he can't handle that. So what I was just trying to get to by that was saying that when you have a sick kid, I think a parent would do anything. And if I was somebody in the States, you know, I, I wouldn't care if I went to jail. But if I got enough money, you know, even if the doctor said there was only a 40 or 30 or 20% chance that this surgery will work. But the alternative is not doing the surgery and they're going to die, okay? If I didn't 
know what I know now about, you know, all the different ways to heal, whether it's Reiki or, you know, all these different fucking ways of healing, you know, even pot smoke apparently and, and different marijuana things can heal a person, okay? You know, prior to this, if I didn't know all this shit, well, let's say I tried all that and it didn't work for whatever reason, which I don't think would happen. But anyways, um, then I would... Even if there was a fucking 3% chance that my kid may have a chance by this surgery, okay? Or we don't do the surgery and I lose my kid in X amount of days, okay? And God, I don't wish this on anybody. And and I'm so thankful that this will never happen to me. And that's why I learned magic. So even if it does, I can do something about it. But anyways, um, I would do whatever it took. I would rob a bank. I would rob a human being. I would sell whatever it takes. I would do whatever it takes. I, you know... If I couldn't do any of those things for whatever reason, if I had to prostitute myself to women or fucking men, I don't care. I would do it for my children because they are worth saving. And that's how an irrational parent would think. So obviously, before it gets to that, the parent is going to do everything possible to heal their child. Everything. Right? And so a logical parent thinking, okay, well, let's find the best diet for my kids so they're healthy as shit. Right? And that's what they do. They put everything good in their kid and if their body is still eating itself for whatever reason, and then, you know, the doctor gives you the opposite information. Well, and, you know, not necessarily that meat's going to kill you or anything like that, but let's put meat in your system. So, I mean, that's a weird fucking thing for a parent to hear, but it's a pretty easy fix, right? And she did that and she was cured. Like, she, well, she's now cured anyways. I don't know when she got cured. But to me, logically, thinking about this, well, why would that happen? Well, you know, I'm not saying meat's bad for you. There's obviously something good about meat, right? And if it means like your immune system, if your immune system's got nothing to fight, right? If those spider cells are constantly just, you know, your body makes those spider cells, but you're so healthy, it never has to use them, right? It reminds me of the kids that don't play in the dirt, you know? Parents take these, uh, have their kids and then... Um, they never let them go play outside. They never let them get dirt under their fingernails. You know, baby them too much. Comes back to that whole thing of uh, we're protecting your kid. And when the time comes where you can't protect your kid anymore, they go to that first day at daycare or school because you never let them outside to get dirty and get a little bit of dirt in their mouth. You know, just because they get dirt in their mouth doesn't mean they get sick. Maybe they will. But if they get sick, they inoculate themselves. They build up the antibodies to fight that sickness, right? Well, if kids don't experience those things, then whenever you shoot them somewhere where there's a bunch of germs that, you know, the, the simple ones, like just the outs- being outside, the dirt and all that, they never experience that. Well, they're going to experience that. Plus, they're going to get the germs from the other kids. Plus, they might get like sick, cold, flu viruses all at once, boom, and then your kid's sick over and over and over and over again, and it's because the bodies are, their little bodies are trying to build antibodies against this, and and fight this off with their immune system, right, but then you think all these problems are all in your kid, bring to the doctor, and the doctor has to run tests, and then they throw their ideas at you, and then you start thinking it's this, 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 that, when really it's just, so yeah, if you never let your kid build up uh, the antibodies, and let them get these bacterias in their body, well, then their body never was able to slowly but surely build up antibodies and become inoculated to these things, right? You know, I remember Grant Morrison on that one thing I put on here live and I told people to check out. He says, how do you inoculate yourselves from war? Which means how do you, how do you guys, you know, put something in society or in society's minds so that we never have a war again so we never do something as bad or... So we never do 
or kill on a big scale. You have the worst fucking war in history. Maybe two, maybe three, right? And then you'll never do that shit again because he says, well, this is quoting him, but paraphrase quote. Um, you know, he, he, every bad thing you think that happened in World War II actually fucking happened and had to happen. And God, it's so bad to think that or even say that because of all the people and people's families and ancestors and, you know, the people that did the bad things and the people that received the bad things. Well, technically... In my belief, we were fucking there. We were doing these things or receiving these things. But anyways, that's how we inoculate each other. And you could say, wow, we weren't actually there. And that's probably why society keeps trying to reinvent these things. And yeah, you got a point. But I think the fact that maybe our soul was there and that we all actually experienced that is the reason that nothing has happened on that scale ever again. And people have tried with, you know, 9-11 things and then the stuff going on and fucking... Uh, Across the border, you know, Syria, fucking uh, Trump and fucking Israel against fucking Palestine. All these things are fucking terrible. But I don't think we'll ever have anything as bad as World War II. But the same concept, that's the as above and so below is us and our body and our germs and our cells. So if we have these little fighter cells, we don't give them something to do, then they get bored and they might attack their own body. So by having something like a little bit of meat on your plate every day that may not be great for you, well, at least you're giving your antibodies, your immune system, as long as you treat your body right and you have a healthy immune system, then yeah, you keep fighting against it. It's how you keep yourself great. It'd be people that only eat meat or overdo the meat or only eat bad things and never put good stuff in the body, never put, never breathe the right way only through their nose or at least mostly through their nose, and never drink the right amount of water or even get enough water, you know. If, you, if all you have is tap water, then all you have is tap water, but you have to drink enough water, maybe take a bath once in a while if you think you're getting or have some electrolytes, if you don't want to put salt and stuff in your juice and water, you know, but, you know, make sure you're hydrated. Make sure you're putting like some kind of electricity in your body through a mineral, through electrolytes or something to that effect, you know. Make sure you're eating a wide variety and getting the right vitamins for your body. You know, you can watch Santo Bonacci's videos where he goes through your signs and which people should have which vitamins. And he says Tauruses or, you know, Earth signs should have this, Earth signs. But technically we're made up from all those signs. So what I would suggest is just every salt or mineral he suggests on there that keep you healthy, have a variety of both. And maybe whatever is your ascendant sign, well, you maybe take a little bit more of that. But you could fuck around with that and see how you feel and shit like that. But he's got a great The Salts of Life video. Maybe I'll fucking, when I get a chance, I haven't put any links on in a while. I'm going to probably try to do that this weekend. Last weekend was Thanksgiving, so it's too busy. But yeah, fucking, I'll, I'll try to link to that so you watch that. But, you know, he's telling you exactly what minerals your body needs. And like I said, the Himalayan sea salt has 82 minerals in it. But, you know, stuff like that. If you do everything right, you know, and you have a strong body, then you can do wrong things. And especially because in our society, how it's so fucking hard to know what's right or wrong. Like, I truly believe what I'm doing by not eating meat is the right thing. And then all of a sudden I see this and says, eating meat helps for an autoimmune disease. Eat as much meat as you fucking possibly can. And you will literally combat, get rid of your autoimmune disease. Was well, it really getting rid of the disease? Or are you really just wearing out your fighter cells so much? Or giving them something to do? And then once they attack those bad bacteria, that those bad viruses, you know, whenever you stop putting the, that meat in your body, or, you know, because you don't eat all day long. But now it knows 
the difference between good and bad, you know? It has a consciousness, technically. All your cells have a consciousness, so they could evolve. And, you know, if you've never had bad bacteria in your body, then how will we know what to fight? And it's so boring that it's just fighting any bacteria. So once you introduce bad bacteria for a big length of time, then now maybe it can distinguish between the good and the bad bacteria. So maybe that's the, that's the reason. So maybe eating a little bit of meat is good, because like I said, you can get your proteins from seeds, you get your vitamins from seeds, you know, your chia seeds got like magnesium, and it's got your omegas, or uh, it's got, sorry, um, antioxidants, it's got uh, fucking... Uh, Things that sh- shoot the muscle and uh, the, the proteins into your muscle for you when you work out, like an intro workout. Like it's got so many positive things and all, all these. So everything you get from meat, you can get from these seeds, and you don't have to take in any of the fat or, or any of that. And no animal has to technically die and shit like that. But maybe you do need to put bad things in your body. You know, I think I may have played this or not, but Jordan Peterson said that people that abuse drugs and you know alcohol and shit like that. Um, you know, generally don't have a good outcome. You know, this is a stat. And the people that abstain, you know, people that abuse that and go way above, have addictive personalities and can't stop, they generally don't have a good outcome. But the same is for the people that abstain from drugs and alcohol and, you know, toying with uh, danger. You know, the kids that maybe were, were protected, you know, uh, overprotected and they decide, you know, I'm never going to do anything bad. I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to be that because that's just no good. Well, they also don't have a good outcome, right? One extreme to the other extreme, both sides of polarity. You have to be in the middle. You have to fuck with danger a bit. So you know how to deal with it. So when it fucks with you back, you learn a lesson, but you don't go so far to one extreme that, well, you're only on drugs to escape all the time, or you stay away from it all the time because you don't want to even, you know, you you don't want to risk playing with it and being fucked for the rest of your life. No, the only way to inoculate yourself from, yourself from stuff is to fuck with a little bit. And that's why I said everything has a correspondence because this is why you do your, your dark end of the soul. This is why you do the shadow work so that whenever things happen, it's not all at once. It's not everything bad happens and it blows up in your fucking face. You got to see what fucks and scares you that you're avoiding, you know, because you're going to be like that person who tries to abstain from drugs. You're not going to have a good outcome. But you don't want to fucking go in it and then love it. And then, you know, you're way on the opposite side of the extreme. So you got to fuck with it. But you do it on your own peril. Because if you don't do it under your own um, controlled circumstances, then, yeah, something bad's going to happen because you can't control the outcome. So anyways, I'm pretty off topic once again. But yeah, so that's my whole thing about the meat. So yeah, I put something on there because I wanted to show that meat is good for something. And, you know, it might be something I need to relook at having a couple days a month maybe eating meat because I don't want an autoimmune disease. I don't want my little fighter cells to get bored and start fighting, you know. It's kind of like us. It's kind of like what I just said, how you inoculate yourself from war. You're the worst war in history. And we've never had anything on that skill happen. However, so for some reason, people keep trying to start that. And we're kind of we're kind of we kind of gravitate towards that, right? I don't think we'll ever have something that bad because we can recognize the symptoms and the signs. That's one of the reasons Peterson is so um, adamant about what he's saying is because last time people started saying your group identity is the most important by identifying people not by an individual but by the group. Then we had the Nazi Party, we had the Soviet Union, we had uh, what's his name Mao in China. All these fucking different concentration camps in these three different com- countries, Germany, uh, Russia, and fucking China. That's what happened in those times. The Nazi party blamed everything on Jewish people, right? Primarily, they were doing a fucking 
they were they were blaming a fucking a group, right? And if people start saying that our group identity is more important, okay, so what would I be? Am I a white male? Am I a 30-year-old? Am I a Roman Catholic? Am I actually a magic practitioner? Am I a father? Am I a Canadian? Or am I a North American? You know, what am I? Am I a black-haired person? You know, or am I a green-eyed person? Am I a big-nosed person? Am I a five-foot-ten person? Like, like, which identity is more fucking important? You know, what's more important? Your political stance? Well, I don't have one. So I fall into the group of uh, non-political. Or do I, or if you go over religion, well, technically I am a Roman Catholic, but I don't believe in that fucking shit. But if that's what I am on paper, okay, so I'm a Roman Catholic. Or am I a non-political person? Or am I just a Canadian? Or am I just a white male? What do you go by? Your ethnic race? You go by religion? Because in Germany, they went by religion. You know? And by reading the Ar- uh, Gulag Archipelago, you'll see what happened in so uh, and, uh uh, during the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviets in Russia, and you'll see what happened in China, and it's the same thing. So that's why he's so adamant about this shit. Because when people start using group identity to identify people, well, then you have tribalism, you have tribal wars, you have people fighting against each other. We see this in the magical community with fucking different magic fucking practitioners fighting against each other, you know, the different fairy wars, and the different uh, witches wars, and then the, the, the mages, and all this shit, people fighting against people within the same thing, when we have more alike than we have differences, you know what I mean, even men and women, yeah, there's another one, am I a man, you know, is that, is that what I'm, is that what my fucking class is, all women and the men separated, how's that gonna fucking work, we won't be able to populate the earth, if fucking men are against women, You know what I mean? And that can't be that. The individual, you know, uh, Grant Morrison said the individual, everybody focused on the individual is important. And, you know, he said it's not important. And we had the scaffolding up to make that individual. And now we're focusing more on the scaffolding. And he had a great point there. And he said, you know, we need to embrace everybody for who they are. And why can't we just take on people's characteristics? You know, if you don't like this certain person, why can't you just absorb their love for whatever it is that you don't like, and then at least understand it. And, you know, I don't know how that may be possible unless you're using magic to program your mind to like stuff because it's pretty simple to do that. You know, if you have trouble eating healthy and you're doing magic to make money and all that, well, maybe after you get your money, you say you make a fucking sigil or program your mind or, you know, do a spell, a candle magic to fucking program yourself to love vegetables, love healthy food, and only eat healthy food or whatever it is, or only food that will serve your body and your cells. But the point I was trying to get at was, you know, that's why, that's why, okay, that's why Peterson thinks this is such a dangerous thing when they're telling us what we have to say now, and why you have to say this, and you're making different uh, group identity is more important than others, and then when they try to, and they think it's unfair, then you know you get people clanging against other people, and then that can start war and all this. But that's as above, so below with yourselves, right? And that's why people, you know, we're, we're we're attracted to this dark side stuff. We're attracted to death to a certain extent, especially unless you have explored it. Unless you explore your dark side, and you know what it's about. I mean, you'll probably still have a bit of attraction there. I mean, I can't say that I'm completely done my fucking shadow work because. You know, I never really thought I was done it after the first time, but I went through it, you know, and I was always waiting to see, and then things got better, and I just kind of forgot about it, and now I'm in the second bout of it, of the more stuff I need to go, because, you know, it's, it's probably only can be a one and done if you somehow manage to do everything right off the hop, 
if you just get rid of all your old programming and you only put a new programming that serves you somehow, then yeah, maybe you can have a one and done. But if by putting in new programming, but you don't put in the right programming, well, then there's other things you're going to have to tweak. So then you're going to have the dark side of the stuff there that you might have repressed and shit like that. But your fighter cells in your body, if they're like part of that dark side, right? Because what they want to do is fight things, right? Their, their job is to fight the bad, right? So they're good. They're like on the positive side and they're there to fuck up whenever there's too much negative stuff to bring things to balance. Well, let's say all you are is positive on the inside. Only putting positive things in and you have these guys that are so positive that their job is to fight negativity and they get bored. Well, then they start making up their own reasons to fight. Kind of like what Bert said, if you fucking make a coven over fucking 13 members and you don't distinguish a them, then within your us, within your own faction, you're, there's gonna, that's going to be created within your own coven. You know, you're going to have, because if you don't say, hey, these are the people we're against, then you can unite against those people. This is the whole group identity thing again. But if you don't do that, then it's going to happen within you. Maybe that's what happens within you if you don't have the right balance. That's why you need a little bit of bad to have a world that's mostly good. And if you have a world that's mostly bad, well, there's going to be a little bit of good there as well. That's the whole fucking yin-yang situation. So maybe even if we know something is bad for us and potentially dangerous, maybe we should still be taking in a little bit so that that part of our body doesn't develop its own consciousness to just start eating itself alive. And that's something to fight. And that's kind of, like I said, with the Jordan Peterson thing, where he said that people that abstain from all bad things and don't flirt with trouble have a bad outcome, just as bad as an outcome as the people that fucking way overdo it, flirting with trouble, and all they do is fucking trouble things and end up in jail or whatever. So, I got so much more to say about that. I can keep going because there's so many more things coming to mind. Um, So many more... um, uh, I can't think of the word, but uh, um, so many more fucking, uh, holy fuck, the thing I love to do the most is finding fucking, uh, not comparisons and not metaphors, but as above, so below, you know, Um, anyways, that word will come to me later, but, you know, there's so many that can be found within this, and, you know, like I said, that thing with with, uh, Birch, you know, finding... Finding uh, uh, us, or defining the us versus them, all right? When you use that theory, um, it's for the greater good of your own coven, right? And, you know, you can be the kind of person that doesn't believe in us versus them all you want, but it's not going to really serve you. And the reason is, as just as already previously stated, why it won't fucking serve you. And it's because... Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to make my lunch at the same time. I haven't made my lunch yet, and i got to work for 2.30, and right now it's 1.48 technically. But if you don't have an us versus them, then there's going to be a them created within you, you know? If you're the leader of the coven, well, there's going to be two or three members or you know, five or six members within your coven that are going to oppose you. Try to uh, go against the alpha male, right? Basically, kind of like, uh, and that's tribalism. And, you know, it'd be a perfect world if we didn't have to do that. But also, you wouldn't be able to distinguish the good from the bad if we didn't have that. But anyways, all that to say that, you know, meat, if you have an autoimmune disease, meat's good for the autoimmune disease. And I wanted to put that on there so people don't think I am against eating meat because I'm not. Like I said, I don't not like the taste of meat. I just do it because I don't believe in the killing of the animals. But there's been a lot of different killing of the animals, and this is the first disease I've heard of that meat actually helps cure a disease and then after breaking it down to me logically it seems like well that would be the reason right because meat 
probably has some good things in it, and it probably has some bad things in it, like everything most likely. Well, you know, and, and like even things from plants and trees. If you take with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Too much of it in can be bad. You know, you can be allergic to things that are good as well, right? Your body cannot like certain things. So... So it is what it is, right? There's a little bit of good and bad, and there's a little bit of bad and good. That's within every single thing. You know, your meat's probably more bad, but it does have good in it, whereas your 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 plants and your fruits, and this is just my perspective, and other people could have a different perspective, because if you're a tribe who's only been eating uh, trees and leaves and shit like that, well, then they might have autoimmune diseases that fuck them up and shit like that, and maybe they've had shamanic and different Reiki things that help heal that part from them, and they don't have to deal with this shit, but maybe at some point, they had to figure that out before then, you know what I mean? But to them, you know, meat might, so somebody like that who's only been eating that, if you have a kid who's only a vegetarian, well, they're going to be lacking a lot of things, and, you know, a lot of people made that distinction, right, when I, be, when I, when I decided to become uh, vegetarian, because I'm not a vegan, but when I decided I wasn't going to eat meat anymore, that was one of the main arguments I heard from my friends and family members was, well, you know that uh, when so-and-so, their kid either wanted to be a vegetarian or they decided for their kids to be vegetarian or vegan, that that kid got so sick and the doctor said, they need to eat meat, they need to eat meat, they need to eat meat. Well, this is a good argument for that argument now. And that's what exactly what I'm going to probably use. Well, if you know why or what the doctor said or what was the cause or what was it about the meat they needed to intake to fix whatever the problem was, and if they say yes and they give me something, well, then, you know, then I won't be able to whip out my argument. But if they, well, they say no, but most likely it's this and this and this, or, you know, or they just make up whatever, and then, you know, I can say, well, I know of meat being the cure for autoimmune disease. And, you know, reason being, autoimmune disease eats its own fucking body. Uh, eats all the good bacteria. So by putting something in that's got bad characteristics, bad for your body, bad bacteria, and maybe viruses, and infectious, and, and all these different things, then it gives your, your immune system something to fight. So it's not fighting itself. You're putting something in there for the actual your disease to fight, something that it needs to fight, you know, you have this disease and it does this, well, figure out what the disease is doing and give it something to do it on that isn't you, right, that's a pretty simple fucking cure, so that would be my argument for that, because, yeah, if you give your kids seeds and all that, however, you know, like I said, for me as an adult now, to intake a lot of stuff with fat and clog up my arteries and all that, that's a bad idea, terrible fucking idea, at my age, but as a kid, when you're growing, hitting your growth spurt, taking in as much stuff, protein, whatever, to make yourself bigger, I think is absolutely essential, and that was what I, I said, you know, if my kids want to be a vegetarian, or a vegan, then, you know, 
once they're the age of, they're not growing anymore, you know, after they hit the growth spurt or whatever, then, yeah, sure, fucking fine. But until then, you know, as a kid, I ate meat, I ate all this stuff, and I was relatively healthy, no allergies, no issues whatsoever. I got sick, but not too, too much and shit like that. So, so to me, you know, it's not something I would do to my kids because, I have my lifetime and my wife's lifetime to realize that, you know, well, meat can't be that bad because we survived. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's one of those things that we voluntarily put in our body that our system grows or helps fight against. But if you have too much of it or it's not cooked the right way or whatever the case is, it can make complications and every person is different. And, you know, saying meat can cause cancer, I don't believe is completely accurate. If meat causes cancer and you know it and you're still eating it and you don't care or you put fear into that thought, then that's actually what causes the cancer. Went through that many times. All right. So being that it's two o'clock or four minutes to two o'clock and, you know, I got to work for 2.30, I'm either not going to have time to put this episode on, or if I decide to put this episode on, obviously the last couple hours are going to have to be, uh, it's probably going to have about an hour worth of me talking, and then, you know, two hours almost of of uh, someone else talking. And right now, the last like four or five episodes, the reason I put people on there um, for covering off the time is not the reason I used to do it. The reason I used to do it was to make up, to use the full three hours, you know, that idea that I, I'm paying for three hours of time, so I should use it was something that, you know, was going through my head, but at the same sense, it's using more of my library and storage for my episodes, so technically I don't have to, so I would just put an hour episode on if that's all I had of talking, but because I can't leave my data on my phone running it while I'm at work, and because, you know, from when I start work to my next break is actually two and a half hours, so I wouldn't be able to shut it off um, from one break to the next, and I can't have my phone with me at work, and, you know, truth be told, working is some time, at least eight hours that you probably shouldn't have that fucking phone on you because of the radiation shit that comes off it. But anyways, um, you know, I can't do that. But because I, I record up until it's time for me to leave for work, I have to be able to have three hours of there ready for the autoplay to go so that it just runs by itself. And whenever it hits the three-hour mark, it shuts off by itself because that's all I paid for, right? That's why I've been doing it. So if you listen to it for just me, great. You don't have to roast in the first hour or whatever the case is, but... Otherwise, yeah, so uh, I'm going to try to find a better system or record earlier, but the way it goes is I kind of watch videos until I get the idea, or if there's something specific I said I was going to talk about, well then I I have my ideas written down, and I keep writing them down as I listen to stuff that kind of circles the same drain, so to speak, and then I, uh, then I start recording my episode, and then I have all the other stuff that I'm going to reference to, because I like putting the things where I got the ideas from on here, um, basically, so that, you know, it's not like me coming up with this idea or whatever, you know, um, I like putting experts or well-renowned people that say basically the same thing, whether they're a magic person or not, if they're saying the same thing, especially if they're not a magic person, or if they are a magic person that's successful, you know, like put them on there for you people to hear that, um, so that, you know, it's not just some random motherfucker from Canada who you don't know, who says he's done these things, um, you know, and taking my word for it, and taking my word for it, and the people that have been successful from the same stuff, who also saying the same things, their word for it as well, but anyway, so, one of the things I wanted to talk today about was men and women, um, there's some Jordan Peterson things, I'm going to play about that very fast, uh, like Kathy Newman, is uh, one of his famous fucking interviews where she's bashing him the whole time, and then all of a sudden, 
uh, you know, he uses her own words against her, and she's fucking speechless, and then afterwards she played the fucking victim, or her channel did anyway, so that, uh, you know, they can get ratings out of it and all that, and I just want to, I just want to go be, uh, say something, because, because uh, they're always about talking, they wanna, you know, they attack Jordan Peterson for the things he says, but, you know, he believes in some of the things he says, but some of the things he says are just the facts, and sometimes it's because these facts support his ideas. But sometimes he just says things because they're facts. You know, about Scandinavia, how they wanted, uh, they gave everybody equal opportunities, meaning, you know, if girls wanted to do the same jobs as boys and boys wanted to do the same jobs as girls, they're going to allow that to happen. They're going to promote it. And, you know, they're going to make uh, exceptions and, you know, make everything as fucking possibly fair as, as possible. You know what I mean? And they have, and they've, even Canada's kind of like that now. But anyway, so they're the leaders in doing this, and what's happened is they figured because people talk about gender equality, right, especially in the workplace, that guys get paid more than girls, which I don't see because my wife makes more money than me and, and stuff like that, but I'm not like in a career, you know, it's not a career we're talking about, I'm not a politician or, or an engineer or anything like that, but anyways, so they're always attacking Pearson for that, and like I said, it's not his idea, and he's not even one doing an experiment. He's just the one telling people the answer because, you know, it relates to what he talks about. It relates to some of the dangers that he's trying to point out and some of the things he's trying to teach people in general, but because most of the people watching this stuff are young men, and I think that has to do with because, like, women are more uh, smart, is one way to put it, but they're more, you know, they're more goal-oriented, and they know what they want out of life probably at an earlier age, and they get it. They don't stop until they get it, at least like with my wife anyways, and other women like my mom, you know, I've had a lot of strong women around me my whole life, and, you know, I see that, whereas guys are kind of, they try to get, most of them anyways, and maybe it's just me, but try to get away with um, being a kid as long as possible, because even now, technically, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I stayed home for three years, taking care of my daughter, so... But So I wanted to talk about that a little bit, even though it might be controversial, but I think it has a lot to do with the fact that women are, you know, more goal-oriented, more geared for, you know, knowing what they want to do. Maybe it has to do with that internal clock telling them, you know, you need to have kids by this age or else you're not going to have kids, which is a, a horrible thing for them to have to bear the burden of, and I think they do absolutely well. I had a conversation the other day with my wife and also my friend Justin and Josie, and I was talking about, not about how men and women are different and all that, and... I know how when I was supposed to go get a vasectomy because I had this weird thing with needles and operations and doctors and all that. And then when it really comes to my cum line, you know, cutting, snipping or doing whatever with my fucking, you know, whatever connects my balls to my, my dick hole, my urethra and all that shit really fucking bugs me, you know, really fucking does. So I ended up missing, I was 29, I think, and I ended up missing the appointment. Maybe I already said this story, but I ended up missing the appointment. And when I missed the appointment... Um, they said because I was 29, they have a policy that uh, they don't, um, if someone misses an appointment, it's because they, they're, not, they're unsure or they're so young or they may still want to have kids. So they only reschedule that in a year's time to see if we're really serious about it because maybe it's because of people suing them or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's what happened. And I said, no, 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 I'm serious about it. I just got like a phobia or a fear when it comes to this kind of thing. So... That's why I missed, but no, I because I didn't want my wife to go through another surgery. She already has three C-sections at this point. I said, well, sorry, this is policy, and it is what it is. And maybe I could have fought it and, you know, got a little further, but I didn't. And, you know, we ended up having our fourth kid. Um, so, and that's how it started the conversation with my friend 
and his wife. And I said, you know, that's why, at least in, taking myself as an example, I'm like, that's why you women are tasked with the job of taking care of kids. And unfortunately, you know, you guys are probably the stronger species when it comes to physical pain. You know, why? that's why there's more guys that do drugs and alcohol and stuff like that because you guys are deal better with pain, whether that's the pain of life or, you know, the pain of actual pain, like pain of childbirth and surgeries and shit like that, right? There's more girls. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Going out there doing uh, uh, plastic surgery than there is men. You know what I mean? To uh, change their look that they're not happy with and stuff like that. So. And that's what I that's what I was telling them. Like you guys are way stronger, you know, and it's no secret, you know, media and movies have made, you know, a joke about the fact that men tend to uh you know, whenever they get sick, just like the common cold, we become little fucking babies, you know, crying for our mom and shit like that. And you guys are super strong when it comes to shit like that, and you're definitely more maternal and crap like that. But when men aren't sick and being babies, you know, we're more maybe outgoing, more or if we all do more dangerous things and shit like that, you know, more assertive, and, you know, because you guys are pain and you take care of children and stuff like that, then when it comes to raising your kids, you might have more empathy. You know, the case of me and my mom, like I said, my dad always knew when I was lying. I never let him know it. And one of the reasons, you know, if my mom would have thought I was lying too, then I probably maybe I wouldn't have tried as hard to prove them wrong, but I always had my mom believing in me because she didn't want to believe that. I would be doing the horrible things they were accusing me of. I wasn't always wrong, but for the majority of the time when something happened, my dad knew, and yeah, damn right, it was me. So my mom always sympathized with me. So I said that's kind of like, uh, you know, where men are weak when it comes to being sick and we couldn't handle childbirth, let alone, you know, the period, the cramps, all the shit you poor women go through. And not even getting into the whole, you guys get bullied and teased at school more, you know, if a guy sleeps around, he's a fucking player, you know, guys look up to him, girl sleeps around, the girl's judger and the guy's judger, you know, and the... Not all the guys there. Some guys kind of like that thing, but majority, you know, they get they get the shitty end of the deal doing the same things, and you know that's not fair. That's our stupid society, but it's not fair. And um, so I'm like, but when it comes to like the parental thing like that, we're here to be the disciplinarians. Not always there. That can switch within roles within families and shit like that. But you know, we have our upsides and our downsides, and you guys have your upsides and your downsides, and that's why you know whenever. You find your other half, you know, the things I'm bad at, my wife's good at, and the things my wife's bad at, I'm good at, right? And that's why when together we're strongest and we're a force that no one can fuck with. And that's kind of the point, right? You find your second half, like there's power in numbers, period. But whenever it's you 
and someone you love and, you know, you've had that bond and finish each other's sentences and, you know, shit like that. Like, you just know and you guys can deal with each other and, and, and you know, the good and the bad happens and you can trust each other or maybe you've been through some shit that fucking shaked, shook uh, your foundations a little bit where you had trouble trusting each other but eventually you were able to overcome them and now it's stronger than ever and shit like that. So that was a conversation I had with them. And that was about men and women and how, you know, we're different. And that's true. Peterson likes to talk about how men and women are relatively the same, but we only differ at the extremes. And men are more disagreeable and women are more agreeable. And that's one, but a very small reason why sometimes women get paid less than men. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it here in Canada or in my hometown, but I definitely know it's out there because I definitely heard it many times. Um, but just to, you know, I am, I am more disagreeable. Sorry, I am more agreeable. I'm more like a woman when it comes to that, right? If more women are agreeable and more men are disagreeable, right? Generally speaking, you pick, this is what Peterson said, if you pick two random people, you got a 60% chance that the men, the man is going to be disagreeable and the woman is going to be agreeable. And what that means is that's why, you know, you got a pink helmet, bike helmet, and you got a blue bike helmet. Well, the blue helmet, same helmet, same company, same everything. Well, the blue one's going to be cheaper than the pink one because, you know, the pink one, 60% chance that's going to be a woman buying it for their daughter or for themselves. And a 60% chance that's going to be a man buying it for their son or themselves. And the men's not going to put up with that. So they're going to go look somewhere else. And they'd rather not lose that, so they knock a couple bucks off. And you know what I mean? That's, that's why that happens. But when it comes to me, and if you look at my birth chart, I've said this before, where my planets are, which, you know, we can say the seven energies in my body, the seven chakras, where my planets are on the 12 signs in my chart that make up my body, basically, all right, um, they are in the negative signs, which means I have more of a negative flow to me than a positive flow. And a negative flow, we know, has, is the female, and the positive is the male. So I fire and air are positive, whether male and water and earth or female, Venus and the moon, right? So anyways, but Jupiter is part of, he is water as well, right? But he's a male. And, you know, but anyways. So that's the next thing I want to get into. You've said that men need to, quote, grow the hell up. Tell me why. Because there's nothing than an old infant. good about it. it. People who don't grow up don't find the sort of thing in their life that sustains them through difficult times, and they are certain to encounter difficult times. And they're left bitter and resentful and without purpose and adrift and hostile and <coughs> resentful and vengeful and arrogant and deceitful and and of no use to themselves, and of no use to anyone else, and no partner for a woman, and there's nothing in it that's good. So you say, I mean, that sounds pretty bad. You're saying it's there's a bad. crisis of masculinity? I mean, what do you do about it? Tell, you help people understand why it's necessary and important for them to grow up and adopt responsibility, why that isn't a shake your finger and get your act together sort of thing, why it's more like, why it's more like, uh, a delineation of 
the kind of destiny that makes life worth living. I've been telling young men, and, but it's not, I wasn't specifically aiming this message at young men to begin with. It just kind of turned out that way. And it's mostly, you admit, it's mostly men listening. I mean, 90% of your audiences are men, Well, it's right? about 80% on, on YouTube, which is a, YouTube is a male domain primarily. So it's hard to tell how much of it is because YouTube is male and how, how much of it is because of what I'm saying. But um, you, you, what I've been telling young men is that there's an actual reason why they need to grow up, which is that they have something to offer, you know, that, that, that people have within them this capacity to set the world straight and that's necessary to manifest in the world. And that also doing so is where you find the meaning that sustains you in life. So what's gone so, wrong then? God, all sorts of things have gone wrong. I, I think that, I don't think that young men are, hear words of encouragement, some, some of them never in their entire lives, as far as I can tell. That's what they tell me. And the fact that the words that I've been, that I've been speaking, the YouTube lectures that I've done and put online, for example, have had such a dramatic impact is an indication that young men are starving for this sort of message. Because, like, why in the world would they have to derive it from a lecture on YouTube? Now, they're not being taught that they that it's important to develop yourself. But does it does it bother you that your audience is predominantly male? Does that isn't isn't that a bit divisive? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's no more divisive than the fact that YouTube is primarily male and Tumblr is primarily well, that's divisive, female, isn't it? Tumblr is primarily female. Saying that's the way it is. Well, it's I'm not saying anything. It's just an observation that that's the way it is. Um, there's plenty of women that are watching my lectures and coming to my talks and buying my books. It's just that the majority of them happen to be men. Uh, it's What's in I, it for the women, though? What sort of partner do you want? You want an overgrown child? You want someone to contend with that's going to help you? And that so you're you can saying rely on. women have some sort of duty to sort of help fix the crisis of masculinity? Well, it depends on what they want. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly, exactly how I laid it out. Like, uh, women want deeply want men who are competent and powerful. And I don't mean power in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that they can exert tyrannical control over others. That's not power. That's just corruption. Power is competence. Why in the world would you not want a competent partner? Well, I, I know why, actually. You can't dominate a competent pow- partner. So, so if you want women domination, want to dominate is that what you're saying? No, I'd say women who have had their relationships impaired with, impaired, their relationships with men, impaired, and who are afraid of such relationships will settle for a weak partner because they can dominate them. But it's a suboptimal solution. Do you think that's no what a lot of women are doing? There's a substantial minority of women who do that, and I think it's very bad for them. They're very unhappy. It's very bad for their partners, although the partners get the advantage of not having to take any responsibility. But what gives you the right to say that? I mean, maybe that's how women want their relationships, those women. I mean, you're making these vast generalizations. I'm a clinical psychologist. Right, so you've, you're saying you've done your research and women are unhappy dominating men. I didn't say they were unhappy dominating men. I you, said it was a bad long-term solution. Okay, you said it was it's making the them miserable. Thing. Yes, it is. And it depends on the time frame. I mean, there can be... There's intense pleasure in momentary domination. That's why people do it all the time. But it's no formula for a long-term, successful long-term relationship. That's reciprocal, right? Any long-term relationship is reciprocal, virtually by definition. Let me put a quote to you from the book. 
where you say there are whole disciplines in universities forthrightly hostile towards men. These are the areas of study dominated by the postmodern stroke neo-Marxist claim that Western culture in particular is an oppressive structure created by white men to dominate and exclude women. But then I want to put minorities you... too dominate. Okay, sure. But I want to put to you that here in the UK, for example, let's take that as an example. The gender pay gap stands at just over nine percent. You've got women at the BBC recently saying that the broadcaster is illegally paying them less than men to do the same job. You've got only seven women running the top FTSE 100 companies. So it seems to a lot of women that they're still being dominated and excluded, to quote your words back to you. It does seem that way, but multivariate analysis of the pay gap indicate that it doesn't exist. But that's just not true, is it? I mean, that 9% pay gap, that's a gap between median hourly... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The earnings yeah. between men and women. But that multiple, exists. Yeah, but there's multiple reasons for that. One of them is gender, but it's not the only reason. Like, if you're a social scientist worth, worth your salt, you never do a univariate analysis. You say, well, women in aggregate are paid less than men. Okay, well, then we break it down by age. We break it down by occupation. We break it down by interest. We break it down by personality. But you're saying basically it doesn't matter if women aren't getting to the top because that's what's skewing that gender pay gap, isn't it? You're saying, well, that's just a fact of no, life. Women it aren't necessarily matter. going to get to the top. No, I'm not saying it doesn't matter either. You're saying, I'm it's saying there are multiple life. reasons for it. Yeah, but those reasons, why, why should women put up with those reasons? Should women, women be content not to get I'm not saying that they should the put up with it. I'm saying that the claim that the wage gap between men and women is only due to sex is wrong. And it is wrong. There's no doubt about that. The multivariate analysis have been done. So well, I, I can give you, you an example. You keep on talking about multivariate analysis. Let me give you an example. I'm saying that 9% pay gap exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gap between men and women. I'm not saying why it exists, but it exists. Now, yeah, if you you're a woman, that seems pretty unfair. You have to say why it exists. But do you agree that it's unfair? If you're a woman... Not necessarily. And on average, you're getting paid 9% less than a man. That's not fair, is it? It depends on why it's happening. I'll give you an example. Okay. There's a personality trait known as agreeableness. Agreeable people are compassionate and polite. And agreeable people get paid less than, dis- than less agreeable people for the same job. Men are more agreeable than men. Again, a vast generalization. Some women are not more agreeable than yes, men. Yes, that's true, but... That's right, and some women get paid more than men. So you were saying that, by and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they I'm, deserve. No, I'm saying that that's one component of a multivariate equation that predicts um, salary. 
it accounts for maybe 5% of the variance, something like that. So, surely so you the need about another 20, we need about another 18 factors, one of which is gender. And so there is prejudice, there's no doubt about that, but it accounts for a much smaller proportion of the variance in the pay gap than the radical feminists claim. Okay, so rather than denying the pay gap exists, which is what you did at the beginning of this conversation, shouldn't you say to women, rather than being agreeable and not asking for, for a pay rise, go and ask for a pay rise. I, Make yourself disagreeable with your boss. Oh, definitely, there's that. But I also didn't deny it existed. I denied it existed because of gender. Okay. See, because I'm very, very, very careful with my words. So the pay gap exists, you accept that, but you're yes. saying... I mean, the pay gap between men and women exists. You're saying it's not because of gender, it's because women are too agreeable to ask for pay rises. So it's make one them... of the reasons. Okay, one of the reasons. So why not get them to ask for a pay rise? I've Wouldn't done that, that, I've done that many, many times in my career. And they just counseled. Oh, they do it all the time. You can, it's, so one of the things that you do as a clinical psychologist is um, assertiveness training. So you might say, often you treat people for anxiety. <clears throat> you treat them for depression. Um, and you and, and maybe the next most common category after that would be assertiveness training. And so I've had many, many women, extraordinarily competent women in my clinical and consulting practice. And we put together strategies for their career development that involve continual pushing, competing for higher wages, and often tripled their wages within a five-year period. Teaching and you them celebrate how to negotiate. That. Of course. So of do course. you do you agree that you would be happy? if that pay gap was eliminated completely? It because that's depend. all the radical feminists are saying. It would depend on how it was eradicated and how the, how, how the disappearance of it was measured. And you're saying if you it's at the cost of men, that's a problem. Oh, there's all sorts of things that it could be at the cost of. It could even be at the cost of women's own interests. So, because they might not be happy if they get equal pay. No, because it might interfere with other things that are causing the pay gap that women are choosing to like do. Like having well, children. Or choosing careers that actually happen to be paid less, which women do a lot of. But why shouldn't women have the right to choose not to have children or the right to choose they, those they, demanding careers? They do. They can. That's fine. But you're saying that makes them unhappy, by and large. I'm saying that that... No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I, and I actually haven't said that so far. You're saying program. it makes them miserable. No, I said that what was making them miserable was having, part, was having weak partners. That makes them miserable. Right. Um, I would say that many women around the age of, I would say, between 28 and 32 have a career family crisis that they have to deal with. And I think that's partly because of the foreshortened time frame that women have to contend with. Like, women have to get the major pieces of their life put together faster than men, which is also partly why men aren't under so much pressure to grow up. So because for the typical woman, um, she has to have her career and family in order pretty much by the time she's 35. Because otherwise the options start to run out. And so that puts a tremendous amount of stress on women, especially at the end of their 20s. I think I take issue with the idea of the typical woman. Because, you know, all women are different. And that's what I want to just put another quote to you from the book. Well, you they're say, different in some ways and the same in others. Okay. You say women become more vulnerable when they have children. Oh, yes. And you talked in one of your YouTube interviews about crazy harpy sisters. So, <laughs> simple question. Is gender equality a myth, in your view? Is that something that's just never going to happen? It depends on what you mean by equality. You know, Being treated you mean fairly, men and women getting are... the same opportunities. Fairly. People, we could get to a point where people were treated fairly or more fairly. I mean, people are treated pretty fairly 
in Western culture already. But we can. But they're really that. not, though, are they? I mean, otherwise, well, why would there only be seven women running FTSE 100 companies in the UK? Why? Why would there still be a pay gap, which we've oh, discussed well, at length? Why are women at the BBC question. saying that they're getting? paid illegally less than men to do the same job. Well, look, that's not fair, well, is let's it? Let's go to the first question. They're both are complicated questions. Seven, seven women, re- repeat that one. There's seven women seven. running the top FTSE 100 companies in the UK. Okay. Well, the I first, mean, the first question might be, um, why would you want to do that? Why would a man, man want to do it? Well, I mean, there's a lot are, of money, it's certain, an interesting there's job. There's a certain you know? number of, of men, although not that many, who are perfectly willing to sacrifice virtually all of their life to the pursuit of a high-end career. So they'll work. These are men that are very intelligent. They're usually very, very conscientious. They're very driven. They're very high energy. They're very healthy. And they're willing to work 70 or 80 hours a week, nonstop, specialized at one thing to get to the top. So you're saying women are just more sensible. They don't want that because it's not a nice life. I'm saying that's part of it, definitely. And so I work So you, for, you don't think there are barriers in their way that prevent them getting to the top oh, of Oh, there are companies? some barriers, yeah. Like other, like men, for example. I mean, to get to the top of any organization is an incredibly competitive enterprise. And the men that you're competing with are simply not going to roll over and say, please take the position. So it's, let me come back to my question. It's absolute all-out warfare. Is gender equality a myth? I, I don't know what you mean by the question. Men and women aren't the same, and they won't be the same. That doesn't mean they can't be treated fairly. Is gender equality desirable? If it means equality of outcome, then almost certainly it's undesirable. That's already been demonstrated in Scandinavia. Because in Scandinavia... What do you mean by that? Equality of outcome is undesirable. Well, men and women won't sort themselves into the same categories if you leave them alone to do it off their own accord. I've already seen that in Scandinavia. It's 20 to 1 female nurses to male, something like that. It might not be quite that extreme. And approximately the same male engineers to female engineers. And that's a consequence of the free choice of men and women in the societies that have gone farther than any other societies to make gender equality the purpose of the law. Those are ineradicable differences. You can eradicate them with tremendous social pressure and tyranny. But if you leave men and women to make their own choices, you will not get equal outcomes. Right. So you're saying that anyone who believes in equality, whether you call them feminists, call them whatever you want to call them, should basically give up because it ain't going to happen. Only if they're aiming at equality of outcome. So you're saying give people equality of opportunity, that's fine? It's not only fine, it's eminently desirable for everyone, for individuals and for society. But still women aren't going to make it, that's what you're really it saying. It depends on your measurement techniques. They're doing just fine in medicine. There are far more female physicians than there are male physicians. There are, there are lots, of, uh, lots of disciplines that are absolutely dominated by women. Many, many disciplines. And they're doing great. So... Let me put something else to you from the book. You say the introduction of the equal pay for equal work argument immediately complicates even salary comparison beyond practicality mm-hmm. for one simple reason. Who decides what work is equal? It's not possible. So the mm-hmm. simple question is, do you believe in equal pay? Well, I made the argument there. It's like it depends on so who you don't believe it. in equal pay? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. Because a lot of um, people listening to you will just... Say, I mean, are we going back to the dark ages? That's because you're actually here? not listening. They're I'm listening just very carefully, and I'm think. hearing you basically saying women need to just accept they're never going to make it on equal terms, equal outcomes is what how you defined it. No, I didn't. If say I was that. a young woman that equal... watching that, I would go, well, I might as well just go and play with my Cindy dolls and give up trying that. at school because I'm not going to get the top job I want because there's someone e- sitting there saying it's not possible. I and said it's not that desirable, equal it's outcomes make you aren't miserable. desirable. That's what I said. It's a, it's a yeah, bad it's social goal. 
I didn't say that women shouldn't be striving for the top or anything like that, because I don't believe that for a second. Striving for the top, but you're going to yeah. put all those hurdles in their way, as has been in their way for centuries, no. and that's fine. You're saying no, that's no. fine. No, no, I think I really the think The patriarchal system I really think is just that's fine. that's silly. I do. I think that's silly. I really do. I mean, look, look at your situation. You're hardly unsuccessful. Yeah, and I have battled you quite hard to get exactly. where I've got to. Good so that's you. okay. Battling is good. This is all it's about the inevitable. fight. But you talk about men why, fighting. Why I mean, let me just have, put another thing to you from the book. Why would you have to real... battle for a high-quality position? Well, I notice in your book you talk about real conversations between men containing, quote, an underlying threat of physicality. Oh, there's no doubt about that. What about real conversations between women? Is that something all... Are we sort of too amenable and reasonable? It's just that the domain of physical conflict is sort of off-limits for you. Well, you just said that I fought to get where I've got. Yeah, but what does that make me? Well, I don't, ima- man or I don't imagine that you. Yeah, to some degree, I suspect you're not very agreeable. So that's the thing. Successful women, I'm not very agreeable. Right. But <laughs> I noticed that actually in this conversation. At least and I'm sure it served it. your career well. Successful women, though, mm-hmm. basically have to wear the trousers, in your view. They have to sort of become men to succeed, is what you're saying. Well, if they're going I've to, had to fight to succeed, if therefore, they're going to I'm compete against man. men, certainly masculine traits are going to be helpful. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things I do in, in my counseling practice, for example, when I'm consulting with women who are trying to advance their careers, is to teach them how to negotiate and to, and to be able to say no and to not be easily pushed around and to be formidable. And you need to, if you're going to be successful, you need to be smart, conscientious, and tough. Well, here's a radical idea. Why don't the bosses adopt some, the male bosses, shall we say, adopt some female traits so that women don't have to fight and get their sharp elbows out for the pay rises? It's just accepted if they're doing the same job, they get the same pay. Well, I would say partly because it's not so easy to determine what constitutes the same job. But that's because, arguably, (laughs) there are still men dominating our industries, our society, and therefore they've dictated the terms for so long that women have to battle to be like the men. No, it's not true. It's not true. So, for example... Well, I can give you an example very quickly. So I worked with women who worked in high-powered law firms in Canada for about 15 years, and They were as competent and put together as anybody you would ever meet. And we were trying to figure out how to further their careers. And there was a huge debate in Canadian society at that point that was basically ran along the same lines as your argument, is that if the law firms didn't use these masculine criteria, then perhaps women would do better. But the market sets the damn game. It's like And the market is dominated by men. No, it's what not. It's you? not. The market is dominated by women. They make 80% of the consumer decisions. Bitch. That's not the case what? at all. If you're talking 80%. about people who stay at home looking after children, by and large, they are still women. So they're going out doing the shopping. But that is changing. They make all anyway, the what consumer decisions. Okay, so the what market is driven by okay. women, not men. Right. Okay, and if you're a lawyer in Canada... And they still Canada, pay more for the same sort of goods. That's been proven. That men, for the you buy a... Blue bicycle helmet is going to cost less than a pink one. Anyway, we'll come on to that. It's partly because men are less agreeable. <laughs> right, so, the, so they won't put up with it. I want to ask you, it's not desirable to have some of those female traits you're talking about. I'd say that's a generalisation, but you've used mm-hmm. the words female traits. Is it not desirable to have some of them at the top of the business? I mean, maybe they wouldn't have they been don't a, predict a, success. a banking crisis. They don't predict success in the workplace. The things that predict success in the workplace are intelligence and conscientiousness. Agreeableness negatively predicts success in the workplace. And so, so does high that, negative emotion. You're saying that women aren't intelligent enough to run these top companies? No, I didn't say that at all. You said that uh, 
female traits don't predict success. But I didn't say that intelligence wasn't. I didn't say that do. intelligence and conscientiousness. Well, you were saying that female traits by implication are not female traits. No, no. I mean, I'm that's very dangerous that. territory. I'm not saying that at all. Are women less There's, intelligent than men? By no, large? no, they're not. No, the the data on that's pretty clear. The average IQ for a woman and the average IQ for a man is identical. There is some debate about the flatness of the distribution, which is something that James Damore pointed out, for example, in his memo, but there's no difference at all in general cognitive ability. There's no difference to speak of in conscientiousness. Women are a bit more orderly than men, and men are a little bit more industrious than women. But the difference isn't big. But all, that averages into conscientiousness. Plenty of men who aren't necessarily as well, industrious. Well, of course. But female traits, why are they not... Feminine traits. Why are they not desirable at the top of... Feminine traits, why are they not desirable at the top of... It's hard to say. I'm just laying out the empirical evidence. Like, we know the, we know the traits that predict success. But we also know, because companies, by and large, have not been dominated by women over the centuries, we have nothing to compare it to. It's an experiment. True, and it could be the case that if companies modified their behavior and became more feminine, that they would be successful. But you there's no evidence for it. I'm not neither doubtful nor non-doubtful. There's no evidence. So why for not it. give it a go? As the radical because the evidence suggests. Say. Well, it's fine. If, like if someone wants to start a company and make it more feminine and compassionate, let's say, and caring in its overall orientation towards its workers and towards the marketplace, then that's a perfectly reasonable experiment to run. My point is that there is no evidence that those traits predict success in the workplace. And there's plenty of evidence. Because it's never been tried. Well, that's not, that's not really the case. Women have been in the workplace for, what, at least ever since I've been around, the representation of women in the workplace has been about 50%. So we've run the experiment for a fair, fairly reasonable period of time, but not, you know, certainly not for centuries. Let me move on to another debate that's been very controversial for you. Um, and this is you got in trouble for refusing to call trans men and women by their preferred personal pronouns. No, I that's ask. not actually true. I got in trouble because I said I would not follow the compelled speech dictates of the federal and provincial government. I actually never got in trouble for not calling anyone anything. Right. That, that didn't happen. You wouldn't follow the change of law, which was designed not to once outlaw it was law. discrimination. No, no. Why now, well, that's your... what they said it was designed to do. Okay, you cited freedom of speech in that. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Oh. I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm very glad that I've but you get my, my point. Speech. You get my point. It's like you're you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on, so and that you, is what you should do. But I you're exercising you your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me, and that's fine. I think more power to you, as far as I'm concerned. So you haven't sat there, and I'm just trying. I'm just trying to work that out. I mean. Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did. It did. Yeah. It took a while. You have, voluntary, you have voluntarily come into the studio and agreed to be questioned. Mm -hmm. A trans person in your class has come to your class and said they want to be called and That's she. never happened. And I would call them she. So you would. So you've kind of changed your tune on that. No. No, I said that right from the beginning. What I said at the beginning was that I was not going to cede the linguistic territory to radical leftists, regardless of whether or not it was put in law. That's what I said. And then the people who came after me said, 
oh, you must be transphobic and you mistreat a student in your class. It's like, I never mistreated a student in my class. I'm not transphobic, and that isn't what I said. Well, except you've also called trans campaigners authoritarian, haven't you? I mean, isn't that... Well, only in the broader context of my claims that radical leftist ideologues are... Uh, authoritarian, yes, which they are. You're saying someone who's trying to work out their gender identity, who may well have struggled with that, had quite a no tough time over the years. With it, yeah. You're comparing them with, you know, Chairman Mao, who no, just the saw activists. the deaths of millions of people. Well, just even activists. if the activists, you know, they're trans people too. They have a right to say these things. Yeah, but they don't Isn't have a right to speak for their whole community. To compare them to Chairman Mao, or, you know, I could Pinochet, Augusto Pinochet. I mean, you know, this is grossly insensitive. No, I didn't compare them to Pinochet. Well, I did compare them to. He was an authoritarian. He was a right winger, though. I was comparing them to the left wing totalitarians. Okay. And I do believe Mao, they are left wing totalitarians. Under Mao, millions of people died. Right. I mean, there's no comparison between That's... Mao and a trans activist, is there? Why not? Because trans activists aren't killing millions of people? The philosophy that's guiding their utterances is the same philosophy. Consequences are... Not yet. You're saying that trans activists no. could lead to the deaths of millions of people. What no, I'm saying that the philosophy that drives their utterances is the same philosophy that already has driven us to the deaths of millions of people. Okay, tell us how that philosophy is in any way comparable. Sure, that's no problem. The first thing is, is that the philosophy presumes that group identity is paramount. That's the fundamental philosophy that drove the Soviet Union and Maoist China. And it's the fundamental philosophy of the left-wing activists. It's identity politics. It doesn't matter who you are as an individual. It matters who you are in terms of your group identity. You're just that's saying murderous... things, though, to provoke, aren't you? I mean, Not you a are bit. a provocateur. I never say You're like anything. the alt-right that you hate to be compared to. You want um, to stir things up. I'm only a provocateur insofar as when I say what I believe to be true, it's provocative. I don't provoke. Maybe for you humor. You don't set out Now to and then. I'm not interested in provoking. But what about the, the thing about, you know, fighting and the lobster? Tell us about the lobster. <laughs> well, that's quite a segue. Well, the first <laughs> chapter I have in my book is called Stand Up Straight With Your Shoulders Back. And it's an injunction to be combative. Um, least to further your career, let's say, but also to adopt a stance of ready engagement with the world and to reflect that in your posture. And the reason that I write about lobsters is because there's this idea that hierarchical structures are a sociological construct of the Western patriarchy. And that is so untrue that it's almost unbelievable. And I use the lobster as an example because the lobster, we, we divulged from lobsters in evolutionary history about 350 million years ago, common ancestor. And lobsters exist in hierarchies, and they have a nervous system attuned to the hierarchy. And that nervous system runs on serotonin, just like our nervous systems do. And the nervous system of the lobster and of the human being is so similar that antidepressants work on lobsters. And it's part of my attempt to demonstrate that the idea of hierarchy has absolutely nothing to do with sociocultural construction, which it doesn't. Let me just get this straight. You're saying that we should organise our societies along the lines of the lobsters. I'm saying that it's inevitable that there will be continuity in the way that animals and human beings organise organize their structures. It's, it's absolutely inevitable. And there is one-third of a billion years of evolutionary history behind that. Right? That's, that's so long that a third of a billion years ago, there weren't even trees it's a long time. You have a mechanism in your brain that runs on serotonin that's similar to the lobster mechanism 
that tracks your status. And the higher your status, the better your emotions are regulated. So as your serotonin levels increase, you feel more positive emotion and less negative emotion. So you're saying, like the lobsters, we're hardwired as men and women to do certain things, to sort of run along tram lines, and there's nothing we can do about it. No, I'm not saying there's nothing we can do about it, because it's like a, in a chess game, right? There's lots of things that you can do, although you can't break the rules of the chess game and continue to play chess. Biological, your, your biological nature is somewhat like that, is it sets the rules of the game, but within those rules, you have a lot of leeway. But the idea that, but one thing we can't do is say that hierarchical organization is a consequence of the capitalist patriarchy. It's like, that's patently absurd. It's wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. It's seriously wrong. Aren't you just whipping people up into a state of anger? And not at all. Divisions between men and women. Mm-hmm. You're stirring people up. You know, you have you, any critics of you online get absolutely lambasted by your followers. You and by me, them off, generally. You? Your critics get lambasted by you. <laughs> I mean, is that irresponsible? Not at all. If an academic is going to come okay. after me and tell me that I'm not qualified and that I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I you're not going to say to your followers now. Quit the abuse, quit the anger. Well, we'd need some substantial examples of the abuse and the anger before I could detail that question. There's a lot of it out there. Well, let's take a more general perspective on that. So I've had 25,000 letters since June, something like that, from people who told me that I've brought them back from the brink of destruction. And so I'm perfectly willing to put that up against the rather vague accusations that my followers are making the lives of people that I've targeted miserable. Jordan Peterson, thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. Nice talking with you. Fucking... Example of, of the danger of an echo chamber. Sure. I mean, the same thing happened to some degree in the aftermath of the Kathy Newman video, because what happened the next day was that the Guardian newspaper in the UK posted a story saying... Um, I think the title was something like uh, Channel 4 has to call in security experts in the aftermath of, sure. of, of interview. And then in the first few lines, they characterized me with all the epithets that I'm characterized by, by people who think they hate me. And then they said, well, Channel 4 had to call in security experts and the police. And I read that and I thought, okay, well, you can call in security experts about anything and the police. And the fact that they're called in doesn't that you call them in doesn't, doesn't provide <laughs> evidence of any credible threat. It's yeah. like it's, and, and then she turned into the victim of the story. And so I tweeted, I said, and I tweeted to her, I said, really, you want to, you want to, this is how you want this to go. You want to be, now you're the victim of this. Is that right? And then, but I also tweeted, and this was my most retweeted tweet last month. Cause I just looked at it. I said, okay, fine. Look like maybe she, I looked at the comments and they're pretty rough, you know, and, sure. and there was lots of them. So I tweeted, I said, look, if you're, we were just exchanging words, right? It's like, if you're threatening her, then back the hell off. I had it's seen just that, yeah. I, like, I liked come on, that clue thing. in and, and yeah. leave her be, you know? It's like enough is enough. And it's important to say. Yeah, but the weird thing was that was picked up by a whole bunch of newspapers the next day as evidence that the threats were real. And of course, thought, oh, sure. Now, <laughs> sure, of now and then I thought, like well, maybe I made a mistake <laughs> posting that. Oh That's the God. thing, because you're, and I, I run to that too, your critics... Any any time you make yourself vulnerable or, or attempt to do the right thing, the people who are out to get you will always uh, leverage that against yeah. you. They'll, mm-hmm. They they don't yeah. don't apologize to the mob. But like no, you sh- you most definitely should have done that because you're 
Yeah, it would your work. credibility it means to your fans more than whatever. Well, it worked too. Yeah. Like, like I felt ambivalent about it when I saw how it had been twisted, and mm-hmm. then I thought, well, maybe I should have just shut the hell up, you know, because it's kind of sad when you, like, I was trying to get people to think a bit. See, that's you know? how yeah. social media and 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 I felt that it makes you turn in, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. Right. Right. When right. you're like, man, I should have said anything. That's right. That's, that's, not, right. that's bad. That, that is bad. That is bad. So then like 20 newspapers picked up this story all through the UK. And right. I thought, oh, this is how this is going to go. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I had You didn't this, do anything. Yeah. You, you got attacked in an interview. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and then all, all of a sudden, sudden I'm still, the perpetrator. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought, well, that's cute. <laughs> and then, so that's kind of like this this situation that you were describing is that the, the fan base around Kathy Newman, and, or at least her ideological allies, let's yeah. say, said, oh, no, this is terrible. She got victimized by this brute professor and all the, his legions of troll followers. I have five million troll followers, apparently, on <laughs> YouTube, which is pretty impressive. And they're all trolls. That's also interesting. And, but then there was a backlash against that, mm. right? And it was some of the more serious journalists, I would say, came out of the woodwork and said, hey, hey, wait a minute here. Like, no... This isn't a simple victim-oppressor narrative, even though that's the only story you radical leftists know how to tell. That's not really what happened here. And then it it settled out, well, apart from the fact that I would have rather just had the sort of conversation with her that we're having, because that was my goal, it couldn't have possibly worked out more expediently for me, you know, and... One of the things I've noticed... Which is kind of her fault. She was looking for expedience. Yes. And it ended up... Backfiring. Favoring you yes. and hurting her. Yes. Yes. Well, it was the same thing that happened with the protest. This has happened to me. It's another reason why I think I was able to remain composed during that interview. I went to McMaster University about a year ago, a little more, and it was just insane. Like, the protesters occupied the room, and they were all chanting and yelling and screaming away, and there was... In those crowds, I've noticed this, in those crowds, there's always two or three people, they're usually men, who are, a lot of them are just like silly, quasi-deluded, virtue-signaling, 18-year-old people who just don't know any better, right? They're there because their professors sent them, you know, and I'm looking at them and I think, oh, you know, you're just deluded kids, fundamentally. But there's always a few people at those rallies who are really not good people, and there were a couple there. They're just psychopaths who are looking for trouble. And I could see a couple of them. Uh, in fact, they were the same ones at a couple of different protests. And one of them was behind me with a woman. And they were blaring an air horn at me from about two feet away. And that was like, look, I don't care. You can yell all you want. But, like, you deafen me at your peril, right? So, so anyways, I, I dealt with that. Um, but I just let them yell and scream and do their thing. And I tried to talk and they drowned me out completely. And then the police closed the venue because there were too many people in the room and the protesters wouldn't leave. So then I went outside and I talked, I stood up on a table and I talked to people outside, you know, and that video worked out extraordinarily well for me again. But what I've noticed, this is the thing that's been so strange is that over the last 15 months, Knock on wood. Every time I've been pushed into a corner mm. and remained composed, sure, the narrative reversed every single time. That's what I want. Something I've noted is that every time they come at you, you get more followers. For every critic that 
comes at you, you get 10 more followers. Yep. And it, this pattern has, we've seen it over and over again, and yet they still come. Yep. Less, though. But the thing Less. the thing is, it's, Less, it, though. it really goes back to what you said. They're being expedient. Yep. You're being genuine. Yeah. Most of the ones who come after me now are academics who are incautious. Let's put it that way. Mm. That, that's certainly what they are. They're incautious. Mm. And journalists who are unscrupulous and looking to Get muck rakes. Yeah. And less so the protesters. And I've really put the protesters, the, the social justice types in, in Canada, in an awkward position. Mm. It's actually... This is the evil part of me talking. It's one of my proudest accomplishments, let's say, because <laughs> I figured out how to monetize social justice warriors. How's that? Because they come out and, and protest against me, and then my Patreon account grows. Oh, yeah. And that just irritates them. You sell tickets, them. your Patreon just account grows, irritates you get them subscribers. To death. It's like, oh, my God, they're what doing are we going to do with this they're guy? They're doing it. It's like, we, we can't let him talk, because if he talks, then people listen to him. That's no good, because he's this evil guy. He's an evil capitalist, which I immediately admit to. It's like, yeah, I'm an evil capitalist. It's like, what's, you got a problem with that? It's like, so that, that just doesn't work very well. It's like, well, we come out and protest him and then he gets richer and that, that, there's nothing that's more annoying to someone, especially when people are just donating the money, essentially. And so like in Edmonton recently, this town, city in Alberta, um, I had booked a theater and we'd signed like three levels of paperwork. We were one level away. I had tweeted that I was coming to the theater. And then they decided that I couldn't go to the theater. Mm. You know, despite the book, fact that I'd had a book published by a major Canadian publisher. It's Penguin, you know. It's not like... Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, it's just incredible. And so they just cancelled it. And then they lied about it. It's like, uh, oh, well, Dr. Peterson hadn't signed the final paperwork, which was true in the narrowest technical sense because sure. we were operating on good faith. It certainly mm-hmm. wasn't your intention to ever cancel that. No, it certainly wasn't. It like. Well, or that, or that I jumped the gun by announcing yeah, it. It's like, sure. no, look, guys, we've been negotiating about this for a month. You gave me the go-ahead. I went through the three lowest strata. There was one formal thing that had to be done. So they cancelled me. Well, that caused all sorts of fuss. But then an hour later, this guy emailed me from a hotel and he said, oh, you can do it at our hotel. We mm-hmm. have a venue for 700 instead of 250 and it sold out. It's wow. like, so, yeah, and the Ryerson <laughs> University canceled our free speech event. We had 200 people slated to attend. 1,500 oh, people yeah. came to the, to the one that we held as a replacement. Uh, when oh, we so we'll learned that trying to repress free speech only makes it louder. Yeah. <laughs> There is some kind of Marxist-influenced post-modernist plot that's hatching in our universities. Hatched. Hatched in our universities. To do what? What, 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 what is this conspiracy? Well, the stated goals of the conspiracy, so to speak, can be found on the websites of, of disciplines like women's studies. It's to bring down the patriarchal, oppressive patriarchal structure of the West. And that's a deadly serious aim by all means possible including an assault on the basic categories that we use to orient ourselves in the world. And so the theory is driven by the idea that the best way to construe Western civilization is as a power structure, basically produced by men for men, that's fundamentally oppressive and that needs to be dismantled from from the bottom up. And so it's easy to find out what the aim is because it's stated very clearly to produce activists to bring that about. And that's especially true of disciplines like women's studies and the cultural studies disciplines. You hate those courses, don't you? 
Well, it's not so much that I hate them, it's that I'm embarrassed to be part of the university because of what the universities are doing. You claim, you claim that there's sort of pseudoscience or false science. No, it's not a claim. It's absolutely the case that it's, it's not even, you can't even call it pseudoscience because it's not science. It's just driven by an ideological, a set of ideological presuppositions, the most pernicious of which is that the best way to, to um, understand history and understand people is as a consequence of their group identity, which is unbelievably dangerous because what it does is push us back towards a tribal direction. You know, one of the things that I love about England, uh, about the UK in general, is that in, over the course of any reasonable historical development, Britain developed the idea of the sovereignty of the individual and instantiated that into the political system so that the notion was that you should always view people as individuals first and as members of a collective, if at all, far second. And that's what accounts for the spread of freedom and productivity and, and, and democracy throughout the world. And we're in, the universities are doing everything they can to critique that at the most fundamental level possible, all in the name of some false compassion and hypothetical equality. It's, Come on, Sophie. I voted for your party. <laughs> I voted for you in the London mayoral elections. Um, what do you, you say to that? What do you say to that? Well, I suppose my question is: um, you, you call yourself a sort of classic British liberal, um, and I was very interested to see that um, description of you. And I'm also fascinated by your book about um, you know dealing with the chaos in which, as you yourself say, uh, men find themselves in, or it's pre predominantly aimed at men. No, and it's I think not, that. Oh well, I, I'd read a, I'd read a, an article with you, which you sort of said, well, yes, it probably is mainly men. Um, so that's what I'm basing that on. I think so. Taking all that into account, why do you think it is that so much of what you say is so very popular with the alt right? It isn't, and you don't have any evidence for that at all. Uh, well, any I'm, more than the evidence that alt right people Daily watch Stormer, this show. Yeah, website, that's the one I'm going civilization. On. Oh well, there was that was all taken apart today by a number of. Jewish publications, by the way, showing that, first of all, that was all satirical commentary on the part of the alt-right, directed at taking me down, for example. And there was an alt-right article yesterday published saying that I was a Jewish stooge and shill. So well, this is absolute nonsense, and I don't, uh, I, I don't appeal primarily to the alt-right. There's no evidence for that at all. It's the, it's the no, proclivity I never said, of... I never, said pr pr I never said primarily, um, Jordan. What I'm interested in is why you think that you get the reaction that you do from the alt-right, looking at you know, the Cathy Newman documentary. Uh, what the reaction? Into interview. There was 10 there was million people watched that and commented awful, on it. I'm, I'm talking about what I saw, mm. and I'm curious to know what your reaction was to the, to the, to the glee with which the alt-right seized upon uh, that well, I don't shall accept we, the, we deal with the death threats? I mean, she had, yeah, I think, a dozen I don't accept the threats. concept that it was the alt-right that was doing this. There were 10 million people who commented on that video, and about 95% of them commented negatively on Kathy Newman's behaviour. You think there's 10 million alt-right trolls watching that? Did you, did you not? Are you accused of spinning a victim narrative in, in an interview with the Radio Times? You mean what, what, what Cathy did afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, That's exactly what happened. But wasn't you know, that because Cathy Newman, for quite a while, and she's a great accomplished journalist, well said. just sat there looking at you with her mouth open and slowly closing like a goldfish... <laughs> Because she didn't know what to say. And so she was coming back afterwards and making the point, well, actually, I did know what to say, but I was giving you time, or words that mm, are But she said, I'm, I'm going to find that mm and killer. I'm going to find that mm and executor. Is that spinning a victim narrative when you get that popping up in your, your Twitter inbox? Well, it depends on... What happened with, with uh, Channel 4 was that 
they put the whole interview up, which was quite a shock yeah. to me because yeah. I didn't think they would. And then people were vitriolically uh, um, opposed to what had happened. And so there were hundreds of thousands of comments. And when you get hundreds of thousands of comments, any, there's going to be some subset like this. And people did analysis of these comments, by the way, and showed that the, the bulk of the ones that were vitriolic in terms of percent, percentages were actually directed at me, not at her. And it was at, in the best interests of the Channel 4 people to spin this as a victim narrative, because that's what they do anyways. But to construe Kathy Newman, who's... Did you get death threats, though? I've had death threats. I don't know if I got them specifically because of that interview, because I hadn't said anything contentious. But that certainly happened to me. And, and seriously enough, so the university increased security around my office. But, I mean, when you're dealing with people, with, when you're dealing with millions of people's comments, then there's going to be a percentage of them that are produced by people who are, well, not mentally well to begin with. And I also tweeted out afterwards. You know, after this had gone on for a couple of days, I tweeted out something asking people to lay off her yes, because did. enough yes, was she, enough. Yes, you know? yes. But I can tell you from my own experience that about half the people on Twitter are not mentally well. So uh, that goes as standard. Yeah, well, it's about 1 in 20 or 1 in 30 in the general population. Right. So, you know, you're going to expect I think it's a comments. Well, I mean, actually, I remember the former government chief whip, Patrick McLaughlin, saying, and he's a great man, he says that about a third of the UK population, and this is a serious point, have some form of mental illness. And he was saying to me that as a government chief whip, we're always being told that MPs should represent the general population, and there is no doubt that there's an over-representation among MPs in that area. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I'll probably now get a lot of Twitter hatred mail for Forgive me, because I've got to jump in, because it seems only fair as we drag Jordan over from Canada that we should mention this. This is the uh, 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. Rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Now, the question I've written is, how is that an antidote to chaos? And I actually, I, I share that view. I think if, if you carry yourself, you project confidence, and confidence wins people over. Is that your thing? Mm, I think not only does it win people over, it orients you properly in the world. I mean, to stand up straight with your shoulders back is actually to adopt a stance that in some sense is maximally vulnerable. It's not a defensive crouch. It sort of exposes you to the world. And the clinical literature on that sort of thing is clear. If you want to move towards mental health, then what you want to do is voluntarily confront the things that you're afraid of and are avoiding. And so it's, it's, a, it's a matter of courage, not of power, and of willingness to take on your own vulnerability and fragility. And that does broadcast that confidence to other people, and that's a good way of making your way through life. I have to say, by the way, compared to some of the more academic pieces you can see on Twitter, this is quite an easy read, quite engaging, so thank you oh, thank for that. You. Yeah. Some on my break right now at the moment at my work at my job, but that was smoke. Need a couple wraps. Um, trying to remember what the last thing was that I was talking about. It's kind of hard to remember now at this very moment, to be completely honest. But I know I was starting to talk about. Um, oh, I do have a headset here. Shit. Oh, I'm going through the car radio, so I think the car radio is uh, a pretty good way to go when it comes to this shit. Because I'm pretty sure it sounded better than the other way I did it last time. But anyways, um. So yeah, um, I thought I was talking about your astrology chart, and you know, okay, because earlier on I had on, um, you know, men and women differences. Jordan Peterson was talking about all that. You know, quite a few hours have I've went by. You know, I, I finished recording probably around ten after two, and then rushed my ass to work, and now it's seven uh, seven fifteen is what my fucking my uh, screen saying in my car. So 
quite a few hours went by. I guess I could check my recording, but anyways, I'll be uploading this tonight, so most people probably won't see it till tomorrow, but it is what it is. So anyways, um, so the point I was going to try to hit at is, you know, Jordan Peterson, right? Yeah, whenever he's arguing with a woman, let's say, or one of the, the news anchors, um, I don't know if I played it yet or I'm about to play it, but uh, I've recorded the, his famous Channel 4 with Kathy Newman um, interview for, you know, everybody to fucking hear. I'm going to play that. You know, she's attacking him pretty good, and, you know, he really shows his agreeableness for the most part of the time, and she shows her disagreeableness, and, you know, like I said, if you uh, pick any man or woman at random, there's a 60% chance that the men's going to be are disagreeable and the woman's going to be agreeable you know and that's that's why certain things happen to men versus women and, and vice versa but you know there are obviously 40% of men that kind of lean on the agreeable side and 40% of women lean on the disagreeable side therefore you know it's safe to say probably that Jordan Peterson and he says it himself he's very agreeable and you know one of the things he says is, is men like things are more interested in things whereas women are more interested in in um, people and that certainly seems like to be the case because you know I like things as much as the next person you know computers and all that phones and information but you know I'm doing this to uh, try to sorry about that one of my bosses was leaving I'm in a parking lot talking to myself or so they might seem so I don't want to be like that fucking weirdo that does podcasts or talks to himself but anyways <coughs> so you know, the disagreeable and agreeable thing is one argument. Men are more this, women are more this. And then here's the next part that when uh, men and women, men are more interested in things, you know, non-animate things, you know. So that includes, you know, animals, you know. Women would be more, you know. And I've, I've studying witchcraft and shit like that, you know, that's one of the things that were very obvious to me, especially with, you know, the Dianic, Diana religions and, and strands and, you know, Things like that, that there's very women dominated and shit for years. And you know, the first men that get into that, or maybe all men that get into this stuff, are probably agreeable and have more of a negative um, flow to them when it comes to their chart. Um, for example, I've said this before, but uh, Birch, Birch and uh, Freighter Xavier both say that they all, Freighter talks about being Pisces. I think that was his ascendant, or he's got a very strong Pisces sign either way. And Birch called himself a Cancerian witch. Those are both water signs. Those are both negative flows. And these people are, are online trying to help people. You know, their job is helping people. Jordan Peterson, the same thing, helping people. And, you know, I don't have either one of Freighter, Birch's, or Peterson's um, chart, birth chart. You know, if I got the, their date of birth somehow, then I could figure that out. So most likely birth, uh, Birch and Peterson, I could figure out theirs because, you know, by putting in their date, you can do their birth chart and figure this out, and maybe I will one day, but I don't want to seem like a stalker. But, just going by my own, all my placements, okay, we all have all 12 signs, right? Your head is Aries and your feet is Pisces, and that's how it goes around. But, all those are positive or negative signs. There's four, um, there's 12 signs in total, right? And then, um, there's four, and you gotta divide those 12 signs by the four, um, the four elements that represent those signs. So, that leaves you with um, basically three signs. There's three signs in each element. Okay, there's three signs in water, three signs in air, three signs in fire, three signs in earth, basically. Um, so that's how that evens out. So that being said, like I said, I'm at work, so I don't have my birth chart on me. I don't have my data on, so I can't go online and look. But 
I have, I think I have, and when it comes to air and fire, there's one of them that has two and one of them has one, okay? And this is the planets, the planets being in the signs, okay? So two of my planets are in, and then, I mean, this is, uh, and I'd have to refine this to just the seven planets, okay? But because this is includes Cryon, your North Node, Lilith, and a bunch of things like that that was included on there. But, uh, you know, out of the, uh, I want to say maybe it was like 10 or 12 things that might be on this type of birth chart that I got, okay? The majority of them were in Earth and water, okay, and then only three were in the positive, therefore I have a negative flow, which corresponds, goes on along with the fact that I am more agreeable, like a woman would be, and I'm more interested in helping people and dealing with people in the public, very nice and have a hard time, you know, saying no to people and always want to help people, like, you know, characteristics that a woman would have, not all women, not all women are like that, Kathy Newman is a disagreeable person and Peterson is agreeable person. There's an example right there, face to face, they went at it, right? And she was trying to get him on all these different things and he just kept his cool and went along with it, went along with it and then when he had his opportunity, he fucking, you know, he, he stopped her in her tracks and made her go, uh, uh, she couldn't say anything. You should really watch the video to see her fucking face but you're gonna hear it. If I haven't played it yet, you're gonna hear that part. But the point is that even when he's like, I got you, eh? he's like, took long enough. So by saying it took long enough, he's also giving her a compliment there, you know what I mean? Like, you had me the whole time, except for just now, you know? That's a fucking compliment. And then, you know, he's, and then he goes and says uh, something to the effect of, well, no, he's like, this is the way it should be. This was my problem with the issue. He's like, you're making me uncomfortable, and you should because you're trying to get to the bottom of things. And he's like, you know, if you're making someone uncomfortable to get to the root of the problem, you know, and whenever people tell us that what we can or cannot say, he's like, we won't be able to do that anymore, you know, so even after he dumps her and stops her, you know, stops her in her tracks, he still gives her another compliment and, you know, is on her side basically about it, you know, he never really fights back very hard, whereas she was just dissing it out, trying to make him look like an idiot or a misogynist or whatever you want to say, so that's kind of the point I'm trying to get at is your bird chart, uh, you know, and I'm going to do something, I'm going to do some research to try to prove this fact, but I believe your birth chart, if you look at your birth chart, okay, and you can go with all the signs that come with a traditional birth chart, like, uh, like I said, there's going to be Lilith, there's going to be Cryon on there, there's going to be a North Node, um, you're going to have Pluto, you're going to, you know, and that's, that's, you know, those things are included, right, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, right, they're all in, in part of, so that's nine right there, and then I believe it's Cryon, North Node and, and Lilith or South Node or one of those because Cryon technically is one of either the North Node or the South Node which has to do with clarity and uh, like the the moon because the moon has such an effect on us so they've included uh, you know the clarity of the moon the top and the bottom of the moon or something to that effect uh, don't quote me on that but anyway so that's the point is you know out of the you know you got nine planets technically in there actually that'd be ten right ten including um, you got your seven, and then, yeah, so that's ten planets, and you have twelve signs, and then I think they add Lilith and Crayon, and maybe another one, but let's say there's twelve. Well, out of those twelve, I only have three that are in the male part of my chart, which means that I have a negative flow. And, you know, even if, let's say, even if those three are the part of the seven traditional planets, you know, they're not anything, they're, it's not, um, it's not, uh, Pluto, Uranus, Neptune, or Chiron, or any of those, okay, it's actually the ones that, uh, I talked about, the ones that do the chakras and all that shit, okay, let's assume that, well, if that's the fucking case, then, 
I still have four that are negative, so I still have more of a negative flow within the planets. And I'm positive that's not the case. I'm positive that some of the, I think, one of those um, might be Mars in either air or fire. Because like I said, I tell people many times, Saturn is in Libra. On the two girls, the moon... Actually, never mind. I already know this answer because Gemini is air and it's male, and I have the moon, and I have I have the moon and Venus both in Gemini. So there's two out of the three. So it's very likely, anyways. But yeah, so I have all my guys because Taurus is technically a girl, right? So Taurus is uh, female, and so uh, in Taurus I have uh, the sun, obviously, and then in um, my twelfth house I have. Mercury, but Mercury is also in Taurus, I want to say. He's in the 12th house, but he makes the big cut all the way around, and he's in Taurus, I believe. So that's two there, and then I have Jupiter in Pisces, which is a water sign, which is also negative, okay? So right there, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, Pluto, I know Pluto's in Scorpio. Um, I know Saturn's in Libra. So there's all the guys I have, in, I have all the guys, planets in my chart are in females, and all the females in my chart are in males. You know, there's an extra one, like I said, there's three, and then the rest are all in uh, air, or sorry, water and earth, so. But anyways, you can do this math with your birth chart, and I'm, um, I haven't done extensive research on it, but I'm willing to bet that if you have negative planet placements, by negative that means not good or bad, it means that if you're in the female gender of the signs, then you are going to be either agreeable because that's what women are most likely agreeable you'll be a man it doesn't mean that your gender preference is going to be you're like men because you're a man or you're a woman trapped in a man's body that's not what i'm saying because you know and that might be why that i also have traits that men do because men are more likely to be uh, abusing substances than women and women are more likely to be depressed well i have anxiety and i've had you know about to depression, but you know, I've had times where I thought I was depressed, but I've also had a substance abuse uh, issue. You know what I mean? And so I have the both of both worlds, right? Um, but anyways, so that's besides the point. But that's what I wanted to talk about. There's there's a correlation there. And when it comes to Jordan Peterson, I want uh, um, he's an agreeable person. And you know, whenever he's arguing with these people and he's talking to these people, the women who don't like they want the um, the choice, the equality, the option for equality for jobs, right? They all assume that their children are going to want to be do the boy jobs, and they're going to be able to have that right. And he never disputes that. He says, yes, the um, equality option, the option for equality, or the equality. Um, for jobs or whatever the case is, is ideal and everybody should be striving for that. He's 100% for that. But he's against the equality of outcome. And that means like how, why, uh, like uh, payment, who gets paid more or less is, is one of those factors, right? Because women say that they're getting paid less than men and I'm not even going to touch that because I don't know. But if they actually are getting paid less than men and it is because of this, because he says in Sweden, not in Sweden, in, um, fuck, I can't remember the place, anyways, you're going to hear it after, the place where they're more, the most egalitarian than any other place has gone, okay, that the more they make the equal chose, making everybody be able to pick their own job, okay, and it doesn't matter if it's a job that men have dominated, it doesn't matter if it's a job that females have dominated, the women are picking 
they're even they're choosing to, like they're going to the same jobs you know it's the differences between men and women are actually increasing is what he says it's because they're given the option once again uh, a few of the women uh, one of the women one of the interviews I watched it was a prime minister of Sweden who was talking to him saying I want to be I want my daughter to have the same options as my son blah 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 but this woman is a prime minister what a prime minister is supposed to do they're supposed to be there for the people make judgment calls for the people they're not around they're not being an engineer so just the fact that she's arguing this but you know did you actually ask your daughter like what does she want to do you know if they want to do that and, and that's fine Peterson's also made the claim that Alright, sorry about that, I had to go somewhere and do something real fast before I went way home. But anyway, so, how I reconcile that is, if negative is my dominating force, okay? Well, then it's up to me to figure out what negative is. My programming has to reflect that. So, depending on the books I read and shit like that, because like after watching Freighter, listening to Phil and all that, I assumed negative was going to be how I pulled things out of my body when I banish uh, bad habits and shit like that. That's what I figured. I assumed banishing was with the negative part of the moon and um, and uh, creating, you know, making money and shit like that would be positive, you know, accepting and all that. But as I thought about it more, I thought about magnetic, you know, your heart being the magnetic or whatever and then Sorry, excuse me. And then, you know, uh, assuming that the pull was the was the was the minus and the push was the plus because you're adding stuff, so you're pushing, and then you minus you're pulling. But I mean, technically, whatever you put that in your mind, whatever you program in your mind for those two things to be, is what it's going to be, basically. Okay, that's that's my experience, and now people can dispute that and say this and that and the other thing. But I'm telling you right now, that's how it works for me. And maybe it depends on if you are a minus person or a plus person, because with my minus, I can pull things to me. All right, and I'm not using I'm using the waiting part of the moon to do pull these things to me, or I can try to pull things out of me as well using the waiting part of the moon. And then on the plus side of the moon, whenever it's waxing, I can push things out of me or I can push things to me. You know, it's all on how you word it, how you think it. If Phil says this a lot, if you're not a fucking word wizard, if you're not bending your words to your will, because that's the trick. These words are shackles if you don't use them properly. And if you make the words your fucking bitch and you say no words you're not gonna fucking tell me what push and pull is i'm gonna fucking tell you what i want pushed to me and pushed out of me and i'm gonna tell you what i want pulled out of me and pulled to me and this way all month fucking long you could be pulling cash to you and all month long you could be pulling bad habits out of yourself you know and and i made videos and i didn't want to complicate it to and say this in the primary videos because if you listen to the one I'm talking about and I can't remember which one but I got a little confused in saying it and part of the reason was I didn't want to confuse people by saying it because most people associate plus with accepting and you know minus with banishing in the same sense they think about a purge being the minus and you know um, making cash out of nowhere or, you know uh, manifesting money as a plus and you know if everybody thinks that and uses that way and it works then great but for me I can do all of the above. I can do so many different ways and, and, and it works. And maybe it's because the minus works worked for me and then I was able to use the plus after that because I'm depolarized. I don't know. But for me, I can use, I can do it all fucking, I can do it all the time like that. It doesn't really fucking matter for me. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can do it all the time. And that's, that's the trick. So now that's, that's a little more info that, you know, I was supposed to get into maybe a while back and go a little more detail on and 
That's what I mean by that. Now, you know, that's that's taking the fucking reins and not going for the fucking ride or one of those meetings that Birch talks about. You know, whenever you get in sync, the after that, it's the point is to not just go for the ride. And just going for the ride is okay. Well, the moon's waning, so I have to do this now. When the moon's waxing, I have to do this now. You know what I mean? Which is fine, which will work for you, which should be part of your progression, right? As you start going and you start doing things, that should be part of your progression. You should be doing that for a certain time. But then after that, once you get those successful over and over again, your manifestations are successful doing that, then yeah, you should definitely progress to, all right, well, let's see what I can do. Can I actually pull money to me using the waiting part of the moon? You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean you have to use positive, sorry, it doesn't mean you have to use negative emotion for that either. It does not mean that. Just because you're using a negative force doesn't mean you have to use negative emotion. And just because you're using a positive force doesn't mean you have to use positive emotion. You could be on the waxing part of the moon and think about cancer. And boom, you just fucking push cancer to you. You know what I mean? Bam, just like that, using a negative fucking emotion. And likewise, you know, you can pull that shit to you too. Being using a negative fucking force and a positive or a negative emotion. It doesn't matter. Those things... That's that's the whole gating, guarding the gates of your mind. Make sure that you only accept and deny and banish the thoughts that you want or don't want. And and then on top of that, let's say, you know, at some point something happens or whatever, make sure you're damn sure if you start entertaining a thought that, you know, you probably shouldn't, you damn sure well don't put no fucking emotion into that bitch. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, if you do that, and then, you know, if you dwell on it over and over again, yeah, nothing might happen for a while, but the minute you forget about that shit, oh my God, it's gonna, something's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to be instantaneous or whatever the case is because your mind, your subconscious can find outs. It finds outs pretty frequently. That's why a lot of people's magic doesn't manifest because if you give the subconscious a reason to take the way out or you give the conscious mind a reason to block what you want from happening, you know, kind of like the genie, you know, like I said before, you ask for a fucking boat and then the boat falls on you and kills you if you are too vague you know it's going to take the out so nine times out of ten that also happens with other people's magic but they run into problems when they over and over say things as negative affirmations basically you know they're saying the same thing over and over and over again and then it becomes like a fucking affirmation you know those people are going to fucking work every day and say hey how's it going you know, it's fucking going it could be worse but it could be fucking better you know fucking six more years to go until I retire but I'll probably fucking die the next year after the people that say those shit fucking stupid things over and over again that's a goddamn affirmation you know the one thing that's gonna happen is gonna be predictable when that fucking exact thing that they say happens to them or at least to someone they love you gotta be careful about that shit. Alright, ladies and gentlemen. So, I was gonna keep going on uh, what I had to say and keep talking about uh, our birth chart and our negative or positive flow and all that. But to be honest, it's 2 a.m. and yeah, uh, I'm gonna end it at this for today. But uh, yeah, hopefully, tomorrow I have the chance to. Uh, go more in depth on this topic so i hope you enjoyed the show and yeah have yourself a great night
because I'm fundamentally an agreeable person, uh, surprisingly enough. But I'm convinced that it's better to face things when they need to be faced and to get to the bottom of things, even though that's... And of course, you have to be constituted in that manner if you're going to be an, uh, an, uh, a useful psychotherapist, because you can't let things go. They have to be dealt with, just like they have to be dealt with if, if you're a medical professional. It's unpleasant to tell someone that they have an illness. It hurts their feelings. It, it upsets them. But if you don't deal with it, then perhaps they die. And psychological issues can be of the same uh, significance. You, you, talk, you talk sometimes about weak men. Mm. Uh, why are weak men Well, weak people are a problem in general. And, and I don't mean physically weak. I mean cowardly, let's say, and deceitful, because I'm thinking it more in terms of moral weakness. Well, there's a variety of reasons. Is First of all, if you can't support your own weight, let's say, then someone else has to do it. And that's not good. And then if you don't make your pathway, if you don't pick a forthright and useful and noble pathway through life, then you'll become bitter and, and, and too hurt by the tragedy of existence. And then you tend to seek your revenge wherever you can get it, and that's not good. So it's a it's a mistake on all fronts. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for the community. Um, it's certainly not a good medium to long-term strategy because life is very, very difficult, and you have to be prepared for that. And, and I had a, 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 a watcher the other night. He was at my lecture in Oslo. And he wrote me a letter. He was a 17-year-old boy. And he said that, he, that my work had been very helpful to him. His father had died suddenly about six months before. And he found his dad when he was dying and was very, very shocked and, and horrified and hurt by what had happened. And I had recommended on my YouTube lectures that one thing you could aim for was to be the strongest person at your father's funeral. And so that's what he did. And he helped his mom, and he wrote a 200-word eulogy and got through it. And so good for him. That's strength and necessary. It's a terrible thing that happened, but he did everything he could not to make it any worse than it had to be. But do you never see that showing weakness can be a strength too? Not weakness. Vulnerability. That's, that's a whole different thing. To admit to, to admit to the fact that you're vulnerable. That's a form of courage. That's not a form of weakness. But that leads you to take whatever steps are necessary to deal with that properly. It isn't some facade that you're invulnerable. No one is invulnerable by any stretch of the imagination. And to stand up and face that is is the best route that you have. Why, why do you think so many young men are following you? Because you, you, have, you have a lot of your own... Because I want the best for them. Genuinely. I'm encouraging but, but more than you do for young women. No, no, not as so Why, why do you think so many are young men? Oh well, I think part of it's a technological fluke. I mean, I I came to prominence at least in part on YouTube because I put my university lectures there, and it happens to be the case that 80% of the people who watch YouTube are young men. So there's that, and it, it's hard to know how to factor that in exactly. But then I'm also. I think that young women are encouraged a lot, which is fine as far as I'm concerned. But I think that that's less true uh, for young men now. 
because we believe that there's something pernicious about male competence and activity. It's part of a, I suppose it's part of the notion that the best way to characterize Western society is as a tyrannical patriarchy, which is a appalling doctrine as far as I'm concerned. How come is that? Well, it's not a tyrannical patriarchy. So it's not tyrannical. That's the first thing. Certainly not compared to any other governmental form that currently exists and has ever existed. And it's not essentially patriarchal unless you believe that women haven't contributed in immense part to the construction of what we have now. So, and, and I also don't believe that to the degree that it is patriarchal, that its structure is dependent on the expression of power, arbitrary power on the part of men. I think that happens sometimes, but only when things go wrong. What, what, what you're doing and doing now as well is, is, is challenging the, the idea of gender equality. Uh, and it's very important in, 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 um, in Scandinavia. I think it's, it's, as you probably know. Um, why, why do you think that, that can be a problem? Well, I don't, I, I don't think that equality of opportunity is a problem. I think that's a great thing, and that anyone with any sense champions equality of opportunity. I mean, even if you're purely selfish, say, and purely self-centered, you'd want to set up an economy where everyone who had ability could be maximally exploited by everyone else, because then we can all benefit from each other's talents. And so equality of opportunity is an absolutely useful fundamental principle. So but that has nothing to do with equality of outcome. Those things aren't even in the same conceptual universe. And to strive for equality of outcome is, well, it's a fool's game and likely to be extraordinarily, it has proved to be in the past, extraordinarily dangerous, as well as impossible. So, I mean, one of the things we know, for example, is that, I don't know to what degree it's common knowledge in Scandinavia, but the biggest differences between men and women in the world in terms of temperament and interest are in Scandinavia, and they've maximized as a consequence of your egalitarian policies. What do you mean by that? It means that the more egalitarian your state, the bigger the personality differences between men and women. That's like the... It's, How do you measure that? How do you know that? Oh, well, psychologists have perfected, at least to some degree, the measure of personality over the last 30 years with very advanced statistical models. And so what you do is you offer men and women well-validated tests of preference and of personality. And you do that all across the world with tens of thousands of people in multi-country samples. And then you look at the difference between men and women. And then you rank order that by wealth and egalitarian social policy. And what you find is the more egalitarian the society, the more different the men and women become. Is this something you can recognize or is it? <laughs> I would say for me it's quite a simple question actually. Do we want that our uh, sons and daughters uh, should have the same opportunities and uh, uh, the same uh, uh, the same dreams or hopes for the good thing or no? And for me it's simple to ask that, uh, answer that. It's yes, of course. So for me equality uh, and gender equality is very, very important. For me, also when we talk about gender equality, it's important for me to learn my daughter that her mom uh, uh, can lead and show the way, and her dad can hug and kiss her and show feelings. And I think that's something very important for the, the, the hoods where kids grow up, to show feelings, to 
to have these gender equality discussions, to show her a way of opportunities and to strive forward. And it's important both for uh, lonely men and lonely young men, but also for women that feel this, uh, this uh, roof of glass. Uh, they need to, to fight and to, to struggle the roof of glass to, yeah, to be uh, successful in their lives. Do you agree on this? I think that equality of opportunity is a perfectly reasonable proposition. I mean, I have a daughter and a wife. I do everything I put, and many, many female clients uh, who I've consulted with and helped, and, and in many cases uh, accelerated, helped accelerate the development of their career tremendously. It's obviously of great utility to encourage forward striving in, in young people and people in general. That, that, that's not the issue in the least. The, the why, issue why is the outcome. Think? Yeah, well, then why do you think uh, the, the outcome and these countries where the outcome is, is, is more equal, why do you think that leads to a bigger difference? Oh, because there's only two reasons that men and women differ. One is cultural and the other is biological. And if you minimize the cultural differences, you maximize the biological differences. So I know everyone's shocked when they hear this. This isn't shocking news. People have known this in the scientific community for at least 25 years. And it's been replicated in the last month three times in three separate samples, including in Science, which is the world's greatest scientific magazine by a large margin. And it isn't a small effect. It's a huge effect. But, so, excuse me, what does it mean? Does it mean that Scandinavian men and women are having more difficulties meeting each other, talking to each other? No, not necessarily, but it does mean that there are reasons for differences in uh, participation rates in different occupations that aren't a consequence of socialization. So, for example, this is especially true at the extremes. So, for example, um, on average, men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people. And that's actually the biggest difference we know of psychologically between men and women. And, and even though men and women are quite similar, all things considered, the extremes make a difference. So you imagine that in order to become an engineer, obviously not everyone becomes an engineer, you have to have a particular temperamental proclivity to become an engineer. You have to be extraordinarily interested in things rather than people. Well, most of those people are men. And if you want to become a nurse, well, then you have to be much more interested in people than you are in things. And most of those people are women. And so you get differences in occupational choice that are also, by the way, quite great in Scandinavia, especially in the case of engineering and nursing, that are mostly due to biological differences, and you cannot minimize that by social engineering. So, and, and it's not a bad thing. Like, look, one of the things you want to ask yourself is that what is the purpose of setting up a society that offers maximal equality of opportunity? And one of the answers is that you maximize people's free choice. And if you maximize free choice, then you also maximize differences in choice between people. And so you can't have both of those. But of course it will have, have differences in choice, of course, because we are human beings. But I can't see why it differs between uh, me and Skavla, for instance. But of course it differs in biological things. but not in choices, because I think more how we raise them, uh, how we live, uh, education, sort of uh, culture, attitudes form a human being, uh, whether or not uh, they are uh, a girl or a boy when they grow up. And uh, if I raise my daughter to become a leader, 
to uh, be self-confident, to have a high education, for instance, I think she will have a good platform to become a civil engineer, to become a CEO of a company, or to become a nurse. Well, that, that, is what, that is what people who think that the differences between people who are primarily culturally constructed believe, but it's not what the evidence suggests.
opportunities, always. No, I'm basically saying that all along, hardly anyone had any opportunities. I mean, if you look at the history of the world, um, things really started to shift in about 1895. But before 1895, the typical person in the West lived on less than a dollar a day in today's money, which is about two-thirds the UN cutoff for abject poverty by today's standards. And so what happened through most of the history of the world is that men and women struggled mightily together, sometimes at each other's throats, but mostly cooperatively, to keep the wolf from the door and the tyrant at bay. Life was very, 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 very difficult. And the fact that we survived it all meant that fundamentally we cooperated despite the fact that we're rife with stupidity, but, ignorance, and malevolence. But what's so terrifying with general quality? Nothing. Hear it. Except when people gerrymander the data. It's like, what do you mean by equality? Do you want women to have their free choice or not? If you do, they're not going to pick occupations that are the same as the occupations men pick. But we have structures today that, that women need to struggle. They need to, to uh, take a step uh, to... Uh, to have the possibility to become like a prime minister, as we talked before, we don't have had any prime minister in Sweden that have been a woman, for instance. Uh, we have a lower rate of uh, female entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, men had a higher income than women uh, in Sweden, uh, even if they work with the same uh, tasks. And we uh, need that, to work that, with. That's one that I would need to work dispute. with gender equality. I think even in the lower class in schools to learn kids how to play with dolls or how to... Boys that... I think we need to learn boys to be more sensitive, but also uh, young girls to become more self-confident. I think that's very important to... Well, the problem, the, problem with that, the problem with that is the data indicate that the consequence of the policies that you're promoting have maximized the differences between men and women. So that isn't what it's doing. Now, that isn't to say that the movement towards egalitarianism is necessarily a bad thing, but a tremendous amount of that's being driven not by social policy, but by technology. I mean, you know, the narrative that we're fed now is that up until 1960, when the enlightened feminists uh, developed their egalitarian doctrines, m men had kept women down, and they finally rose. And the truth of the matter is, is that from about 1895 onward, there was a series of technological revolutions that were extraordinarily powerful in their impact that allowed women to step forward free of many of the burdens that had kept them back in the past. Birth control being one of them, but only, only, only one. Um, uh, uh, sanitary facilities of all sorts. Plumbing had a huge role to play. Tampons had a huge role to play, as did sanitary napkins. All of these technologies developed that enabled women to... Uh, to, to move forward, to move forward with 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 less biological impediments. What, 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 what would you say is the best period in history to be both man and woman? Oh, clearly now, there's no absolutely no doubt about that. You, Anyone who would like to worry for the chaos, worry about the chaos. Well, you know, it's nice if we could make things better than they are. And I would say that just as all around the world. We're raising living standards at a rate that is absolutely unparalleled in human history. We're also in danger of destabilizing our culture in the West. And I don't part, think that's a good that idea. Problem, part of that problem you, you call, uh, 
you talk about there is, is, is what we call the identity politics. Yes, I think that any any political position that puts someone's group identity ahead of their individuality is a regression to a kind of, a regression to a tribalism that will definitely become violent. Because that's what happens to tribes. What's an example? Of identity politics playing that role? What happens every time people divide, divide themselves into tribal groups? I mean, what we're trying to do to make peace is to bring people under the rubric of something approximating a single identity, a shared identity. And, I mean, the evidence that people fight in tribes, it's the, that's the entire evidence of the human race. And the farther back you go in time, and the smaller the tribal groups become, the higher the rates of inter-tribal warfare and the higher the rates of homicide. And, and, so, and this, you're talking about this, is part, I, I think it's part of why you also are. People feel some kind of ambivalence. Towards towards you also. You, I mean, you, we call you controversial uh, from time to time, and um, I don't know. Do you like that being controversial? Do you enjoy uh, provoking groups like like? Uh, no, and I don't provoke people. I just say what I think. I just say what I believe to be people. true. Well, that's no. I have don't. You, have you ever I been say <laughs> I say what I believe to be true, and people find that provoking. That's not the same as me provoking people. If I was provoking people, I would be setting out to upset them. And I'm not setting out to upset them. I'm just setting out to say what I believe to be true. And I'm a very... So you're following the, 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 the rule we talked about. Yes, and when I'm talking about gender gender issues, for example, in personality, that's actually one of my, my fields of expertise. I know the literature. And it says exactly what I said it says. And as I said as well, it's been replicated three times in the last month. The London Times came out three weeks ago and said that the finding that Gender differences maximize as egalitarian policies are developed is now one of the most solidly grounded findings ever produced by social scientists. So, you know, you can make of that what you want. It's not something so, that I particularly enjoy. It so, just happens to be the case. So, what are the fake news about Jordan Pinson? Oh, well, the, the fake news is one is that I'm provocative. The other is that, um, the other is that I have a like a right-leaning or a, a particularly conservative agenda. And the mere fact that I oppose radical you, you leftists... Are, you are conservative at heart, aren't you? Not particularly. I'm, I'm, I don't have the temperament for it. So, for example, uh, conservative people tend to be low in trade openness, which is associated with creativity. And I'm very high in trade openness. And so, temperamentally, I'm not much of a conservative at all. And people who knew me, people who come to my house would certainly not think that I was a conservative person. So, or if, or if they, they saw the, the breadth of my ideas, I'm, I'm also very entrepreneurially minded, which also is not associated with conservatism. Um, I am a great skeptic of well-meaning attempts to adjust large social systems on the basis of ideology, but that doesn't make me conservative. It just makes me an uh, educated social scientist. So when... <laughs> When are you provoked yourself? Um, when am I provoked myself? Oh, <clears throat> being called a Nazi, I find somewhat provoking. That I think one I of the most absurd days. No, no, certainly not. <laughs> one of the most absurd days in my life in the last two years, and there's been plenty of them, was a day probably three months ago where I was accused by one magazine in the UK of being a Jewish shill and another magazine in the United States of being an alt-right Nazi. I thought, well, that's 
that's it. I pretty much covered both ends of the insult salad. It's like, yeah, that's right. So you can average that out to zero, I suppose. <laughs> so um, I, I find I find that somewhat provoking. Um, but you know, you take the good with the bad, and, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not complaining about it. It's but it is provoking. Is, is it is it true that you have an opinion about about people? Uh, having to stay married if they have children. I mean, we are yes, it's better if they here. do. Hmm? It's better if they do. It's, uh, it, it's I, better it, for the I children. I think most people would, would agree that that's the, the best. But, but mm -hmm. uh, as far as I understand, you you think that the laws should say that we have to stay together. Oh, it isn't obvious to me that the liberalization of the divorce laws in the 60s was for everyone's best interest. Now, exactly what that means, I'm not sure. I mean... It's okay for people to go to hell in, hand, in a handbasket in their own particular means of choosing. But we do know that stable, intact, two-parent families are better for children. So, you know, it depends on who you put first. And I, look, I'm not saying that everyone who's got divorced is reprehensible. I understand that life is very difficult and that it's a very hard thing to maintain a relationship over a very long period of time. But it's not obvious to me that we're better off for the additional plethora of choices. So we'll see. But isn't that an individual choice and not something the law should decide? Well, it depends to some degree on whether the law should advocate for children. I mean, children really can't speak for themselves, can they? They need some authority to speak for them. And so we do know, like the, the data, for example, on, on child welfare indicates crystal, it's crystal clear that children from intact two-parent families do better on virtually every measure that you can possibly imagine. So what are we supposed to make of that? It's irrelevant. It's like maybe the rule should be if uh, if you don't have children, then no problem. Divorce is no problem. But if you have children, and plus, it's not like divorce solves the problem with regards to, to, to your relationship with your ex. It often produces a whole boatload of problems that you didn't expect. So, but I'm not advocating draconian measures to keep people together who don't want to be together. That that horse has already left the barn. Should there be an age limit, like for the children, where you can divorce? Or well, the older the older the children are, the less effect it has. Yeah. So you know, when so at what, some point the, they're not what's children. What's the ideal age now? for divorce? Yes. <laughs> oh, forty-five, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what the I don't know what the uh, what the ideal range is. What, what about what about when you were when you were a kid yourself? Who, who was your uh, masculine role model? Oh, I I think I had a number of them, but it would probably primarily have been my father and some of my friends because peers play an important role in in development, especially after a year after the age of about four. But I would definitely say it was my father. And how would you describe his masculinity? Well. He, to, to your point, um, he spent a tremendous amount of time with me when I was a kid, and, and they're very fond memories as far as I'm concerned. Like when, when I was a young, when I was very young, two and three, my dad would come home from work, and he spent an hour and a half with me a night for, for a long time teaching me to read, which has been of inestimable benefit with me, and he did many things with me. You know, we hunted and trapped and canoed and fished and camped. And, and, um, he was a harsh guy in many ways. He was a disciplinarian in some sense, um, but but he was very honest and very good craftsman, and uh, and so I learned a lot about um, 
trying to conduct yourself in a respectable manner from him. So were, were you were you a, a, a tough kid or were you a, a careful kid or what kind of kid were you? I, I guess it depends on what you mean by tough. No, I don't think if you would have met me when I was a kid, you would have thought I was tough. I'm kind of a tender-hearted character, and um, and I was skipped a grade, and I was small for my age, and so um, I certainly wasn't physically tough in the standard sense um, because I was small and because I'd been put ahead of grade.